Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the holiday. I'm recording this intro on November 29th, just a few days after Thanksgiving, and I have been feeling especially grateful for some family time, for good food, and for all of you. Today I have a very fun guest and someone I was excited to talk to, Chris Kaluse. You may recognize Chris's deep and sultry voice as the host of over 200 episodes of The Enormal Cast, another climbing podcast similar to this one. So if you haven't listened to it before, I definitely recommend checking it out. On the other hand, if you are an Enormal Cast fan and this is your first time listening to this show, welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Chris Kaluse has been immersed in the climbing world for over 30 years, and despite hosting his own podcast for roughly a decade, I still didn't know that much about Chris's own climbing accomplishments or his trajectory through climbing, so it was really fun to put him in the hot seat for a change. We talked about Chris training to be a climber back in high school gym class and about some of Chris's earliest climbing experiences. We talked about the different chapters of Chris's climbing career and covered some classic stories from the cold and lonely side of El Cap during his aid climbing days. We also talked about the infamous aid climbing rant. I'll link to the video in the show notes. You should definitely watch it. And Chris gave me a breakdown of the aid climbing grades and what led him to move away from aid climbing to be reformed as he says. This was a super fun interview and we covered a whole bunch of other stuff. We talked about a lot of different LCAP routes and aid routes in this episode, some stuff in the Fisher Towers and in Indian Creek. We also referenced some normal cast episodes. If you are curious about anything or if you miss the name of a route or want to know its grade, you can find all that stuff in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. There should also be a link in your podcast app that will take you right there. Okay, thank you again for tuning in, and please enjoy this very fun and wide-ranging conversation with Chris Kaluz. How are you holding up today, man? Oh, you mean the election hangover? Yeah, we're talking on November fourth right yeah. now, and America's holding its breath. Um, I am, I'm okay. I was like a pretty, I had like pretty good avoidant behavior yesterday. Um, yeah, I went to the hot springs with my kid till about eight. You know, came home and checked in, and then um, yeah, the landslide thing that like my little stupid bubble kind of was because I, you know, you you tailor your social media around your beliefs sure and there was this idea that like yes they the country's finally woken up to like and that i was not actually that hoodwinked by that i mm. i figured it was the skate the squeak it and the lawsuits and the whole thing and mm. is that's what at this hour it's what one o'clock on november 4th or so yeah it, it's looking to be that yeah. actually at this moment uh-huh. the the late counts are coming in and there's going to be a squeaker and then um then it's gonna go haywire. So <laughs> all hell's gonna break loose. But I, you know, I'm I'm not worried about like gun f- running gun battles or anything. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's good. So yeah, I feel okay. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sitting down, man. <laughs> yeah. I was at Bonfire Coffee this morning, and I I 
camped at the community center in my van last night. I was walking down the street this morning and I, I passed Bonfire. I was like, why do I recognize the name? And then your voice popped into my head. And I was like, oh, charter sponsor, yep. Bonfire Coffee, support yep. the Normal Cast. So that's super fun. I'm a huge Normal Cast fan. I've listened to probably 90 plus of your first 100 episodes. Cool. But what's interesting is I don't have a good grasp of your climbing history. I thought it'd be fun to kind of start with with that. You know, you've in your podcast, you have alluded to different chapters, different ascents, things like that. But like the free rider, for example. For the, the free rider, for example. <laughs> you've mentioned it a few times. Yeah, it's a running joke. But I'm like, did he do it? Like I don't know the story. Right, yet, right, so. right. Yeah, actually, um I appreciate the I appreciate that angle because I think as much as, you know, I'm accused of talking about myself in the podcast, um, a completely valid accusation, I don't sit there and, like, go through my history that much. It, yeah. It's dropped in when the other person, you know, we have a relatable content in, in terms of, like, climbing in Cochimo or something like that. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's that out there, really. So Right. Yeah. So, you're born in Green Bay, mm-hmm. raised in a suburb of Chicago. Yeah. So how does a Midwesterner from the suburbs of Chicago first become interested in climbing? Uh, the same way so many of my cohort generation did. I saw uh, an article or a book. Um, pretty sure, you know, the first thing that I remember is seeing an article in uh, Outside Magazine. And I was like a, I was like a little bit of an out, fish out of water kid. I was like really into backpacking and things like that, even though I lived in the suburbs. But we'd, you know, go to these little places in Wisconsin that mm. seemed really adventurous or to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. So I had this outdoor thing. Um, my family were definitely hunt, hunters and anglers and stuff, but I had this kind of different angle to it. But um, yeah, an article in, on, uh, on John Backer at oh, some okay. point in Outside Magazine. And this wouldn't have been contemporary to when John was like a stone master, but it was the 80s, so he was still, you know, the climbing rock star. Yeah. And uh, the blonde surfer dude, you know, tiny shorts and the whole thing. So yeah. that would have been the first one. Of course, in my mind, it was John Bacar, because, you know, <laughs> that's what it looked like. Uh-huh. So that was the first image I had. And then I did this weird thing where I knew I was going to go west to college because if you're a backpacker or whatever, you're like the mountains, you know? And, um, so I decided I would do that, but then I decided I would become a rock climber. And so I actually trained in high school, uh, not climbing on a wall or anything because they didn't exist, but just weightlifting and stuff. Yeah. But, but I, told my coach i didn't have a coach but the, the the class was just a class the guy ran at the coach um on my like he, you fill out the sheet where you uh your goals yeah and i wrote that on there that i'm going to become a rock climber in high school in high school in, in high Libertyville, school illinois in class. 1987 <laughs> and he actually you know i thought he was like this meathead football coach guy and i was i was also like this rock and roller so i you know definitely diverted from the sort of sports thing but uh i thought he would think it was dumb but he actually pulled me aside and he's like you know what i i did a Knowles uh instructor's mm. course because hmm. he wanted to start an outdoor program at our school but in the 80s it was just the liability thing was they hadn't sorted it out and they said no but he took a Knowles instructor's course and he's like i went rock climbing but i wasn't very good at it because i'm too big and he was he's a big football kind of guy mm. he's like i'm too big but he's like you're built for it i think and mm. i don't know too much about it but here's what i think you should do like okay. 
you know, don't try to gain muscle, but gain strength. So he put me on a literally program That's or we at least chatted about like, well, these are the kind of things you should try to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, for two years I, I like sort of had this little mini training program <laughs> and then I went climbing the very first day I went to college and that was like the end of it. Yeah. So that's blowing my mind because you're such, I have you in my mind as like such an OG kind of trad style rock climber, you know, like it seems like it, just in the last year or two, you've kind of explored training right. but for most of your climbing. You've just prioritized the adventure being outside the, the raw experience. So it's really funny that you started with training. Yeah. But I mean, don't relate it to training now. <laughs> like sure. it was in no way like climbing specific training. Do you but remember was, what you did? I mean, it was just, again, it was what, what is strength like? Um, low rep kind of, mm -hmm. you know, type training versus like trying to gain muscle because it's, sure. it's high school. And so everybody else in the class are dudes that want to get yoked and like <laughs> be able to walk around in their ripped t-shirt, you know, yeah. which I didn't mind, but it, it's funny because, um, it didn't matter because I only got more like skinny and ripped because <laughs> you know, it's my metabolism. Uh -huh. Like I'm not going to like get so I just like got more ripped, which yeah. was cool too. Yeah. But it turned out, I mean, when I started rock climbing, and this is also a story I hear a lot, is that of course if you're if you feel like you were good at it the first time, that's a big draw. Mm. And I definitely like felt strong and felt good, and mm. like uh, it it clearly. I mean, it may just been that I was just generally fit, because um, but it it seemed to help. Yeah. You know, for sure. Because yeah. I just remember feeling like, oh, I can do this. I can hold on to these things. And, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, or whatever it was that we top roped the first time. What was your first day of rock climbing? It was up at Horsetooth Reservoir in Fort Collins. Okay. I went to Colorado State. Okay. And um, that's really known for its bouldering. But there's, you know, 50, 60, 70 foot top rope walls mm. as well. And we just, you know, I joined this floor at the... At the um, CSU, the outdoor adventure floor. So it was like a co-op floor where everybody kind of signed up. There was all sorts of them skiing and biking and stuff and the outdoor adventure floor. And so the very first, second day, whatever, before school even started, the RA, the guy that ran the floor came by and he's like, hey, we're going top roping up at Horsetooth. Do you want to go? And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> he's like, oh, it's rock climbing. I'm like, yeah, this is it. You this know, like I here I am. For. Yeah, so... You know, it would have happened either way, but it just, you know, it all kind of came together on that outdoor adventure floor. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Tennis shoes or what were you Well, no, they with? gave me shoes. Okay. You know, the, he's like, yeah, we got harnesses and shoes. Because it was kind of the nature of the of the floor, like he was supposed to facilitate these things. So, okay. Um, the funny thing about the floor is it completely backfired in that, like, <laughs> at the semester, most of the kids didn't actually outdoor adventure that much. They mostly smoked weed and and hung out like college kids do. But sure. there was a pretty core group that uh, was getting after it. And like basically at semester, like, you know, half the floor was failing and like, uh, not me, I was holding up my end. There was an ultimatum from my dad. So, um, but yeah, everybody, he, the, the guy, this guy, Pat Rastel, anybody from CSU will remember that name. He ran like a lot of the outdoor stuff, the Pingree Park campus and stuff. But he uh, got us all together and he's like, you guys, like this is making us really look bad. Like, mm. You need to go to class. Because mm. that's what happened is horse to a bike right away. You know? mm -hmm. And then also he's like, you guys have a per capita like emergency room visits that are like off the charts too. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So it, it's funny. They oh, actually man. stopped doing it a couple years later. They might have started again, but um, 
yeah, it was, but it was fun. And there was like uh, Jonathan Thiesinga, who used to be, you know, work at Black Diamond, uh, was an athlete manager and stuff there, was on the floor. And um, this guy Lenzani that works for Honey Stinger. So there's some some guys that came off that floor that got into like outdoor industry. So, yeah. Yeah. You were studying English? English, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did that lead into Colorado Mountain School guiding? that sort of stuff um i just yeah uh when i graduated i applied okay you know i just i don't know that, why that i have no recollection of how that occurred to me but okay yeah i just applied and they hired me so i went straight from yeah colorado state in 93 so when i graduated and then that summer went straight up to estes and started guiding it at colorado mountain school okay yeah and that's what back in the day dude that like everybody's like well you know, I've been climbing, I've been climbing four years, um, but a lot, but, uh, there was no training. Like okay. you didn't go to the, the, AMG, For the guide school. Yeah. You, well, the guide school had training their own, but I'm saying that there was no certifications. Okay. The AMG actually didn't even exist at that point. <laughs> yeah. um, they came into being while I was guiding. Okay. Um, and, uh, was for a lot of years rejected by most guide schools as being like, we do our own training. Like we don't need to pay you to train our guides. And so they had a, a while for them to get traction. But anyway, so yeah, I just went up there and like told them what I'd climbed. And they were like, okay, you know how to tie figure eight and stuff. Like you can be a guide. But <laughs> keep in mind that, you know, that year was a lot of groups, you know, top roping with groups. Okay. And, I was going to ask that. Yeah. What kind of stuff were you doing? Were you taking any clients up the diamond or anything no, like that? No. And that actually, I guided, I want to say like six or seven seasons over like 10 years okay where I was gone a couple, for a while i never got to the diamond um back then like you just didn't get that kind of client and if mm. you did it was like a return client that one of the more senior guides like topher donahue it was his dad's guide school and i started okay so he was like kind of a hot even though as young young as i was he was sort of a hot shot guide kenan harvey uh, another guy um that name's kind of like disappeared, but he's really an amazing climber and influential climber. And he was a guide there. So those guys were dealing with that stuff. But mm. I mean, I eventually, you know, guy in the Petit Grapon was no, was pr- really common. Hallett's when Northcutt Carter was still there before it fell down. And um, so big mountain guiding and then a lot of days on Lumpy Ridge. Okay. But the early days, it was groups, you yeah. know, going top roping. Like we'd facilitate climbing for a local summer camp. You know, just because they insurance wise, they they would have us come in and do the climbing section. So, yeah, you know, a bunch of kids top roping for the day, kind of guiding. Okay. You know, and an occasional, you know, maybe I'd guide like a three pitch five seven or something on Lumpy Ridge or whatever okay. in the early times. Yeah. Kids like you that didn't end up on the the floor. Yeah. Right. Basically. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> what was the next chapter of your own climbing? I mean, eventually you ended up in the valley for a while. As far as your career goes, you ended uh-huh. up being an English teacher. Yeah. Was there a chapter where you were traveling, dirtbagging? Just... Yeah, so I graduated in 93, and then I want to say I guided three summers. And then in the off-season, generally climbing a lot, or um, I worked at Alta Ski Resort uh, one summer. But that's when I was just like out climbing a lot, and that's when I really discovered Indian Creek. I'd mm. been there um, as early as 91, but that was, you know, and that was when you started going there. I went to Australia. Hmm. on a big um that was like my big first international trip which was like still sort of influential on its on huh. my thinking about climbing i just it was so much fun and um what'd you do 
just flew there and then, you know, went climbing and like it was pre-internet. So you just basically, yeah, you got some information from books like Neptune or Boulder Mountaineer at the time. Um, they had like sections of guidebooks and you just sort of figured out what was going on with looking at old magazines. And then I flew in and literally like went to a climbing shop in Sydney and mm. then said, where should I go climbing? And they said, uh, go up to the Blue Mountains. Well, I knew the Blue Mountains were there, but I'm like, which cliff? And they're like, you know, go to this place called Piddington. Like there'll mm. be, I was like, where will there be other climbers? Okay. You know, which is a weird question now, but in the back in the day, you could go to sure. cliffs and have nobody around. So sure, yeah. they're like, yeah, just get off the train, hike down this street. Because <laughs> all the little towns are on top of the cliffs there. Okay. And then you'll go out this trail and that, that's where Piddington is. And you'll anybody who climbs in Australia know what I'm talking about. The cool thing about it is it taught me about the community because the very first day and I just walked the base of the cliff and people were climbing. I'm like, hey, what's up? And I met this guy named Pete Lowe, another Lowe, but no relation to any of the other Lowe's. Um, <laughs> he'd climbed in the States and was a crack climber. And crack climber climbing in Australia, it's like a lot of places. It's a little few and far between, but he was like, stoked and this Piddington cliff has these awesome like 510 cracks like mm. perfect cracks so he was stoked and we we climbed over the next few days he would come back and I was just sleeping at the crag mm -hmm. and um he was like at the end of one week he was like listen man I got this uh well man mate sorry listen mate I've got this offer you're not gonna be able to refuse I'm like what is it? he's like well me and uh god I can't remember his wife's name but we work in Sydney in the in the week and our house appears empty. And he's like, you can stay in it. Wow. And the climbers live next door. Wow. And so I went and he's like, I'll tell him you're over here. So those guys showed up one night and they were literally going to go out to a club and dance, and which was a little bit awkward for me but at the time. But um, yeah, and it was actually this dude showed up at the door who I'd actually met in Boulder. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, he was road tripping in Colorado. And, I'd met, and like he opened the door and we're like... You know, it was like that, that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. We're like, <laughs> this guy named Christian Mortensen, Muzz. And uh, and then that was, you know, pretty much, I was off and running in like three or four days after being in Australia. Wow. And when I moved out of Pete's, they were like, come and live at our house. So I slept under their little climbing wall for like a month and a half. And, <laughs> and then I went to Arapiles and sort of the same shit happened. You just walk Crazy. in. And, yeah. But it was just like, aside from the climbing, it was just like, you can do this mm. and this is your community and these are your people and mm. they're the same as they are in the United States. They just talk funny, but their <laughs> motivations are the same and it's going to be like every day is going to be more fun than you had the day before again mm. and again and again and again and again. Mm. And it was just like this incredible realization of what probably my life was going to be like. Because I was just like, this is fucking amazing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, every morning I'm waking up and having more fun. How old are you at this point? Uh, 23 or 24. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because I graduated in four years. Okay. So, yeah. And it was right after that. It was one, one or two years after that. So, yeah, prime of life, prime of climbing. I didn't have a girlfriend. Yeah. You know, I didn't have anything going on. And it was, a, again, like the perspective is lost, but like you were gone. You called home once in a while you had to buy like a card and like put the code into the phone and shit or you called um can i swear yeah okay um you called uh collect or whatever and you sent postcards 
there's no, no <laughs> other way to connect with it. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? So anyway, that, that was right then. And then there was some years of climbing. The other thing that we missed is that for when I was at CSU is that I got really into the history of climbing. Okay. Which probably some ways led me to the Enormacast, you know, in a long roundabout way. But I got super into it. I saw this slideshow um, at the mountain shop. Again, like signaling out to old Fort Collins people. It was Katie Cassidy and Earl Wiggins, two legendary desert climbers. Earl Wiggins, Black Canyon climber as well on a slideshow tour to promote their book um desert desert country climbs desert no, i can't remember but a coffee table book okay really famous as well um like the first time the world in general had been presented indian creek cracks mm. towers mm. you know the titan was in there and castleton and like again no internet you can't look this shit up mm -hmm. you had to look in books and so this we went to that like a f couple few weeks after i i was um there on that floor, right? Okay. And it was a the again the RA came around like this slideshow's happening. We you know as many of us should go. We should just go. And so we all went. And they just kept saying like latent core, latent core, latent core. Climb this. And here's an old core root. And you know the finger of fate on the Titan and core angles on the Castleton and and a few others, right? And that was like, man, when who's this guy? First of all, this his name is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And then I get back to the dorms. And my buddy's like, oh, here, check this out. And he gives me, um, this is going to blow your levels, but it's an old Enormacast joke. He's, he gave me, climb! <laughs> <laughs> Which is the history of Colorado climbing up till 1978. And it's got an exclamation point on it. Um, and I read that cover to cover. And that was like, when I was like, holy shit, all these hmm. guys are amazing. Of course, it's funny because this was 1990 or 1989. So it was a full 12 years after the book had been published. And yet that set me on this path to almost like we, we and some of the guys in the dorm, like we idolize these guys. Yeah. And so we were like, well, what is aid climbing? You kind of went back in time. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. And we've idolized, you know, it's like wool knickers and, the, and <laughs> like painter's pants and headbands and long hair. And like, that's, I mean, I had the super long hair. No way. hard to believe. Yeah. And so we idolized that. So that got me into aid climbing hmm. and so that actually because a little like mini version of me was a big fisher towers climber okay so i climbed in the fisher towers quite a bit um did a you know relatively early ascent of the finger fate charlie fowler thought we probably did like the 11th or 12th ascent of it what's that one on uh the titan okay it's like a three big mud route you know okay thing so so yeah so meanwhile i mean i was free climbing too but that was like i had like this foot in both worlds that's so interesting yeah. i had it in my head that you had discovered mountain climbing and then it was you know get to the top of the mountain by any means right. and then free climbing came later so well it's cool that so the other thing is i was because of that i was of the um the mind that you, you know, if you were a climber, that you climb mountains as well. So mm. I, I had a career in, um, or not a career, but I had, I, I followed ice. I was an ice climber for a long time. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I'd actually, I just missed, this is how this show's going to go. But in 1991, <laughs> I did a, an exchange to New Zealand. Okay. And I climbed for that. I went and climbed in the Southern Alps for, I mean, I was there at school, but we were in Christchurch, so just okay. super close to Arthur's Pass and then Mount Cook and all that stuff. So, And I was there about almost a year. 
and climb Mount Cook and Aspiring and all these other peaks, which are low in altitude, mm -hmm. but they're big mountain feel. That's why the like, you know, Hillary train there and all that. Okay. Because you have to deal with big mountain things like Seracs and glaciers and stuff, but you know, it's like 13,000 feet mm -hmm. and really bad weather. Oh, interesting. So that was, I was like, I'm going to be a mountaineer. I'm going to be a mountaineer, you know? Yeah. And I did all the stuff, you know, like. Did you like it? Uh, I think at the time I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but then to the next chapter and you asked about going to LA, um, when I came back, I was guiding again under different management at the mountain school. And, uh, some point met this woman, Rebecca Rush, this has been on the show and then went out to LA cause she lived in LA and ran a climbing gym Okay, and then went out to date her and also to work in the climbing gym. Okay. And that's, then I was in Southern California living in LA yeah. or Orange County first and then LA. And that's when I started going to the Valley. It's the Yosemite chapter. Yeah. The Yosemite chapter. Gotcha. And so, yeah. So I went out there for a lady. And then once I was in Southern California, that's when I really started to rock climb and kind of forget about ice and okay. uh, climbing big mountains. And then there's the story of me passing out on lead ice climbing, which has been on the Enorma cast. <laughs> So I had a few series of ice climbing mishaps that I wasn't too stoked Jesus. on. And I just kind of like another partner got injured another time. I passed out leading literally when on an ice climb. Didn't fall, but definitely. What? Do just, you know what episode that's in? It's probably in the Aaron Mulkey episode, okay. which is probably in middle hundreds. I don't know. Somewhere <laughs> okay. in there. But yeah. Okay, I'll go find it. Yeah, I think it's in there because I think like it was a fun confessional to him in terms of like because um, he's that's he's almost a pure ice climber oh, okay kind of things so yeah so anyway but um <laughs> yeah so i kind of like lost my mojo a bit for the cold stuff my gosh yeah yeah and also i started skiing oh um, interesting. right right after that and so skiing kind of like took over winter pursuits gotcha um, like oh this is type one yeah 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 so and the, if anybody like tries to figure out whether i'm chrono chronologically saying all this correctly i'm not <laughs> So it was a long time ago. <laughs> so you went pretty deep. You ended up going pretty deep with your aid climbing in Yosemite. Were you free climbing in Yosemite at the same time or were you fully focused on aid for a while? It's funny. I, I was, but definitely not as much. Okay. And the other thing about my Yosemite career is that I never lived there or like posted up there for like the whole summer kind of thing like people do. Okay. I was living in Southern California and I was going in and doing trips to do certain things. Okay. Like a normal climber would and supposed to someone who's living in their van there. Okay. So that was kind of like limiting about everything that I did. So there's like a huge swath of classic Yosemite free climbs, you know, all the way down to Royal Arches that I have not done mm. because I would generally go show up you for know, a few days. Literally, my haul bag was packed before I left and mm. get there, hike it up, fix some pitches and, and leave the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I did uh, I did like Astroman. I did a lot of the classics, Astroman and Rostrum and stuff like that, but not, you know, I didn't dip too deep. Still, yeah. still haven't. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tell me about Lost in America. Okay. That would have happened in this time. And okay. this is, yeah, this was like three years or so. And I was really banging out El Cap roots. Yeah. And, um, Aid roots. yeah. And I was kind of that, there's a story before that and I'll get to lost in America, but I was in the Fisher towers. I think I'd done a four in the Fishers. I don't, 
Had I, I might have repeated World's End by then, which is A5, if it exists. Um, <laughs> I remember sitting around a fire with a guy named Rob Slater, who a lot of people remember that name. He was a like wild man, rock climber, A climber, and, and um, died on K2, actually. But uh, he was there, and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to you know, go to Yosemite and like, you know, try to do a cap. And I think I want a soul of the Zodiac, you know, and he like literally burst out laughing. <laughs> He's just like, you're not going to want to do the Zodiac. Like that's you, the stuff you've done here in the Fishers is that's going to be so boring. Like you need to do something different, you know? Oh, okay. I just was like, you know, it's Yosemite. It's like, yeah, it, yeah. Interesting. But it climbing in I the thought Fisher you were going Towers, the no, it's like super gnarly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's all I'd really ever done. Okay. So, I mean, it's like mud and like, right. You know, pounding. Barely sandstone. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, Rob, you know better. And so I got there and um, I still was like, all right, I'm still going to solo Zodiac just to see what's up. But it was too crowded. And so I soloed um, this thing called Lost in America instead. Or no, no, um, the Aquarian Wall. But he was right. Like, eight climbing on El Cap seemed pretty chill. Okay. <laughs> so the rock's so good. Yeah. So I quickly, like, um, I had done Mescalito, actually, at that point, too. But um, Mescalito, yeah, the uh, by the Don Wall. But, so I quickly upped the game into, um, like, Zenyatta Mandata. And that was, like, no big deal, I didn't think. And, um, you know, so I quickly jumped into, like, sort of A4 and A5 kind of climbing. Okay. Because of what I had learned in the Fishers. Okay. So, yeah, so I was just like, okay, and I was uh, on that path of like, well, if that was, if that was, if I was capable of doing that one, then I needed to do something harder. So I was approaching it, I guess, just like sport climbing in a way, like, okay, okay that route, eh, I was a little scared, but I could definitely climb harder. And at one point I was like, well, you know, if you're going to be a man, <laughs> you got to climb El Cap in winter, you know? Wow. And so that's yeah. the loss in America. Was that a history thing again? Where did that come from? Mm, just, you know. Just more badass. Yeah, you just miserable. have to do it. You just like, <laughs> you know, and, and again, like, I just, you know, it's like you just conceive of things and you're like, okay, that's what's going to happen now. Yeah. And it's like, it can be gnarly. And now it's like, you know, these guys are free climbing in the winter up there. So mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like a big deal if you get the right weather. Well, we all saw the Don Wall with the ice shards flying from the top of El yeah, Cap. So. Yeah, and they got like a historic, I guess not anymore, but up to that point, a historic dry spell for that too. Right. And any, you know, I talked to Tommy about it and he's like any minor storm and it would have all been done, hmm. you know, because of that. So, yeah, so Lost America. So I went um, to the valley and it was really shitty and at that point, I mean, this was probably, I probably climbed El Cap like six or seven times. Okay. Um, so uh, it's like, I'd climbed Zenyatta Mandata, which is over there by Lost in America. So I was like, I'm going to do Lost in America. It's A4 plus, I think at that point, whatever that means. Um, but older route. So I was like, yeah, this should should be good. It's steep. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, okay, we won't, you know, the ice and stuff. Um, but it got super shitty while I was there. So I was waiting a couple of days. Um, I had ropes, a couple ropes fixed, and uh, first thing that happened was Warner Braun showed up to the. I was just sitting in the meadow alone, like no one's around. It's kind of a little bit of snow on the ground. And what month is it? Mm, February. Okay. Yeah. So again, don't quote me on that, but it, around then. So Warner shows up, and he's just like, "Hey, what are you gonna do?" And I'm like, 
uh, it's like, man, I know who this is. He's on the SAR. He's like the head SAR dude. He's like going to fucking talk me out of it or whatever. Like, Doesn't want to rescue you. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a thing. Like, who's this kid? Like, what does he do? And I'm like, well, it's going to do Lost America. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. And he's like, you know, and he tells me this whole story about how these guys got died on Zenyatta and Dada, I think, because they were up there in winter and Horsetail Falls kept spraying them. Oh, shit. And like one guy went hypothermic and died. And no like, way. So he tells me this whole story and he's like, okay, well, good luck. And then he, like, instead of like talking me out of it, he just tells me this story and it's just like, okay, well, good time. And I'm like, okay, but... It was cool because then I knew like Warner was around and probably mm. keeping an eye on me. Okay. And also actually there was a couple dudes up on Shortest Straw. Um, For listeners, I'll link to all these routes in the show notes. Yeah, you know, it's all on the right side. I'll cap over by over by the Zodiac and stuff. And um, so there was a couple guys up there. Um, just, yeah. So I left the ground. I had, um, I always went heavy when I was soloing. Okay. Um, and that side of the wall is really hard to get down. You know, it's super steep. So mm. as soon as you're off and running, you you can do, but you have to aid downwards. Mm. At least, you know, swing your rope in and clip it in to get in. So retreat, you know, difficult. I definitely didn't want to be rescued. Um, that was a great fear of mine just for embarrassment reasons. And uh, so I was like, all right, I'll just bring, I'm going to go heavy. I got a lot of stuff. It's winter. You know, you don't drink much water. And off I went. And it, you know, went well. And then it stormed again. Mm. And so the top of the wall actually got like a couple feet of snow. Riding the storm out's no big deal, but then the it you know gets warm there, and then it starts melting. Yeah. And so I get to this A four like angling traverse, like the last kind of crux pitch. I'm probably like ten pitches up. There, it's not that long. You and you're solo, solo. Yeah, I'm soloing. Yeah. And this huge waterfall is going right across like fifteen or twenty or thirty feet of the climb. Okay. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, if I, you know, I had like winter mountaineering gear. I had like, you know, North Face bibs and the whole thing. I'm like, okay, well, if I just get all this waterproof shit on and I go fast, I'll be fine. And so mm -hmm. I ate, it was like 25 feet of aiding and it's A4. So it's like not easy. So I, I'm like cruising along and I'm like, get to the edge of the water. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go really fast. And it's like rurping, right? You may have to link to what a rope is too, but it's a, bit, a tiny piece. Yeah, and hooking and shit. And so I'm like, I go like three moves into this waterfall, and it's like you know, thirty minutes later, I'm like, a, <laughs> you know, a fifth of the way through, and I'm like completely soaked to the bone. Oh my god! And so I aid back out, and I aid back down to my ledge, and at this point, I'm like, like, <laughs> you know, definitely on my way to hypothermia. Yeah. And I'm just like, I got a little scared. I'm like, Fuck. yeah, that's that's real yeah, up there. Yeah, yeah. So I get in my, I do the like the Knowles thing. You get, take all my clothes off, mm -hmm. get in my sleeping bag, you know, and and rewarm. And then I spend the next day just like, okay, what am I gonna do? And I knew that Tangerine Trip is, and actually I happened to be, I didn't know this for sure, but I was pretty sure I didn't have a topo for it. And I didn't, you know, no cell service, everybody, um, no cell phones. And I uh, knew I was pretty close to it because there's a place where it sort of hourglasses and mm. gets close to. So I knew it was like over there somewhere. Okay. And so I actually. What, what's Tangerine Trip it's, for reference? It's like a, it's an old Charlie Porter route, A3, old okay. A3. Lots of rivet ladders, like okay. lots of bolts to clip. So you knew you could just cruise well, up Well, I thought so, but that's another story. So <laughs> I figured out a, actually a traverse. 
Like okay. A3, I actually placed a bolt on it, um, or a rivet rather, and I got over there. And it, it was like maybe 60 feet traversing, uh, like angling traverse to get over to that route. Okay. Because I was like, I can't do this. I can't go that way. On, a, on. So I get over there. I, I like to say that I put a new route on El Cap. It's like 60 feet of... Uh, 60 feet of new climbing in, mm. in 2,000 feet or whatever. Um, it's called Lost in My Pants. But anyway, I get over there and then I start going up that, but everything's soaked. And anybody's done Tangerine Trip, all the rivets have been replaced. Okay. But in those days, there was these things called dowels, which were, they would drill a hole and then they'd take a dowel of aluminum and pound it into the hole. And once it bottomed out, they'd continue pounding it until the top of it mushroomed a little bit. Okay. And then you you would bring these removable hangers. <laughs> yeah. And you'd hang it on that. And the virtue of it being a little bit mushroomed, it wouldn't come off. Oh, my gosh. But also, there was a lot of bolts that were broken or bent. And so, actually, the these rivet ladders at that time were like the most scary thing I've ever done. Wow. Because they were drilled, so I'd have to high step. Okay. And I took like, and I hardly ever fell soloing aid. It was kind of like against my my creed. Mm -hmm. I took like three falls, just popping shit off of these stupid rivets because oh, they were wet. And I was using these <laughs> these wire rivet hangers, and then I realized, and this is getting into the weeds of aid climbing, but I realized that tie off webbing, this really thin webbing that you use to tie off pins, would actually work better because it was wet and it kind of had mm. some friction to it. Okay, but they were totally terrifying dude and then i i kept going and the top was wet and then the final day i stopped on this ledge really close to the top and it got really cold that night and everything was wet and so i woke up in the morning and everything was frozen and my ropes which i had sort of it was there was a tree on the ledge i'd sort of draped the ropes over it. like you could pick them up as one big frozen mass <laughs> so i woke up and the weather was good but i wasn't going anywhere and so I like, and I was in this corner and the sun was coming over me and I, I actually like hoisted my ropes up so they would, I couldn't sit in the sun, but I could put them in the sun to, <laughs> to melt them and then got to the top. It was like super close to the top on the ninth day. I was up there for nine days. Oh my gosh. And, uh, how many days had you planned on? Um, I, I had like stuff for like seven probably, but okay way too much water because i wasn't it was too cold to be drinking water okay. i could have gotten water off the wall too it was running everywhere <laughs> so i got to the top and then it was winter time and even though it was illegal at the time i threw i threw my bag off the mm. guys before me had done that it actually had flown past me while i was like on my second day because there was those other guys and um i threw the bag off and then went down but there was so much snow on the east ledges that it was this like complete epic like wading through snow because the snow sits on top of the manzanitas and creates these like, you know, airspace. Okay. And so like, I was like, you know, you'd be on top of the snow, then you'd fall through into the manzanitas Jeez. and stuff. And I finally got down <laughs> the East ledges and my girlfriend was waiting for me. Oh, uh, this woman, Rebecca. And I used to have this really strict rule about soloing walls. Okay. That you had to do them solo from your car to your car <laughs> like you're not soloing if you, people are helping you carry stuff down okay but i got to the base of the east ledges and you know i was pretty strung out at that point sure, yeah. and she was there and so i like i broke the rule 
and let her help me carry my stuff from the bottom of these sledges back down to the road. So invalid solo ascent. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so arbitrary. Anyway, but that's like, you know, the funny thing is I remember being sort of scared when I was like shivering, but I just like, I don't have recollection and maybe I just got rid of it of like ever being that like worried Hmm. on any of those routes Hmm. like i just i was like in my 20s and i just like had this faith that i would be able to get up the wall to the top i mean moments of fear and moments of being scared doing moves sure but in terms of that feeling of like oh my god am i gonna make it or am i gonna have to go down or anything i was just like no i'll just keep as long as i got enough food and i'm fine and i usually would go heavy so i'd like you know i'll just sit here for oh it's snowing yeah I'll just sit here and wait it out and see what happens, you know? So it's kind of, you know, it's that's not unique in any way. It's just like, it says a lot about like the mentality of doing these things. You just have to have this like faith that it's going to, going to go down. You can't doubt yourself, you know, spend your nights awake, like worried. Hmm. I think you could, you know, you can be successful with that attitude, but not for long. It's just too stressful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And I think that's like, when you look out at these guys that just like bang it away for, for, you know, I think like Steve Swenson, who's this incredible mountaineer who's been doing it forever. Now he does big mountains, but I think he's got the same thing. of just like, I'll just, you know, this is just going to work and I'm just going to work until it, until I'm on top, Mm -hmm. you know, so. I actually talked to Chris Wright about their ascent of Lynx are. Yeah. He did that with Steve Swenson. Oh, right, right. Yeah. 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 People are more interested in Steve. They can look into that. I, I would love to ask you, I feel like we owe our listeners some context because most climbers these days don't know much about aid climbing at all. I know I didn't until mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. started Googling it and, and learning more, educating myself. I'd love to uh, talk to you about the aid rant. Okay. This is a, a video that you that someone made of you in 2007. At this point, it's had over 120,000 views. I just looked at it again this morning. Right, yeah. It's funny, huh? (laughs) It's it's hilarious. And uh, you ended up writing an add-on piece for it. And I have a quick... Basically, your summation of of that piece was that anybody can aid climb. It's never as hard as people claim. And its self-aggrandizing reputation is mostly bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I'd, I'd love it if you could break down... I was a lot surlier like 15 or 20 years ago. <laughs> Literally, I was. It, yeah, it was fun to read that. I'd love it if you could break down just in broad strokes what the aid scale is, the A0 through A5. And then I have a note here that just says A5 corpse. Right. That's the line that everyone quotes back at me from the aid rant. Here's the corpse. We have a confirmed A5. Here's the course. So the basic idea is that there's A0 through 5. And even sport climbers are are aware of A0 because it gets thrown around every once in a while. Mm. And that's literally just that you had to stop and pull on something, mm-hmm. whether it's a bolt, you know, pull up the rope, whatever. You just had to pull yourself past a move. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts. No risk. Yeah. No, no risk. No, none yeah. at all. I mean, other than the normal risk of screwing something up. And then it goes up from there. And and I don't, I mean, I don't know what people talk about now, but back then it was like, A1 is, you know, you have to do this repeatedly and maybe place your own gear, but you're, you know, throwing bomber cams in and hanging on them and pulling on them. So um, A1ing up, you know, people on the nose or whatever. 
speed climbing or A1 kind of climbing. A2 um, involved, you know, difficult placements. Okay. Like having to work at them, not just like plug and go. A3, you get into what they call body weight placements, which is that the placement, if you're ginger upon it, it'll hold your 100 and, you know, 50, 200 pound frame, whoever you are. A little more than that probably, but it won't hold a fall. It won't hold the shock of a fall. Mm. So now you're getting into placements that if you fall on them, they're going to rip out. But A3 was a one or two in a row with a super safe fall. Okay. You know, so you just like, you maybe put in a couple small pins, but you have a cam down there and then you put another cam in. And then the rest of it just goes up from there where A3 plus is, you know, maybe more of those in a row. But then A4 is when you start to have a opinion about the fall being dangerous. So hitting a ledge, bouncing off of something, you know, where this is all going to rip, but I'm going to hit that ledge. Mm. But it's not, you know, going to kill me. Okay. But see, this is all speculation. Right. You know, the hooker book pitch on the on the Sea of Dreams, which is a famous hard aid route, it's hooking kind of sideways above a ledge. Okay. And so the hooks aren't going to stay there for protection. So you get a ways out, and then if one of them blows, you're going to smoke the ledge. Okay. And then A5 is the theoretical where it's a death fall, and you're going to you're going to rip, or you're going to rip so much that you're going to like take this monstrous fall where anything could happen mm-hmm. you know like ripping the entire pitch was always the theoretical version and then some people have always have played with a6 but i don't think it was really common and that is that you will rip everything and the belayer off oh so your your ank your belay anchor isn't great okay so um which in the history of aid climbing i don't believe has ever happened <laughs> gotcha um, gotcha and so, yeah, so that's that's roughly what A0 through A5 means. <laughs> okay. Okay. And you can see how it's like speculation. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can fall 20 feet and die. Sure. If you hit it wrong or whatever. And your example from that video is that for an A5 to really be confirmed, you'd have to have a group of climbers. One of them would have to go up the pitch, fall, and die. Right. And then you'd all see the corpse. Okay, we've got a confirmed A5. Confirmed A5. Who's, that was the joke. Who's next? Yeah. Because it's theoretical. Right. Because very few... And, and, you know, I say this with the caveat of, like, I don't know the entire history of the world of climbing. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, the the idea that you, you rip the pitch because the, all your placements were body weight and then you, you die mm-hmm. is a super, super uncommon thing to have happen. People die aid climbing. Mm-hmm. People die climbing, but it's generally, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's because they fucked up yeah. and they died on A2 or A3 because they were back cleaning and took too many pieces out or a rock came out and cut the rope. So, okay. And I don't want to make light of people dying climbing, or right. dying, but this idea that you would rip the whole pitch and then be dead at the end of the rope because you hit something... It just doesn't happen that much right? or at all, as far as I can tell. So that's kind of where the aid rant came from. And I guess what it, one thing that we've kind of glossed over is that the actual act of the climbing isn't all that difficult, technically or physically. Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, the technical part of it is it's just different from free climbing. The technical part of it is all engineering. Okay. And so learning how to use your pitons and use copperheads and all these different things that, you know, we could spend the rest of the day talking about what they are. But, you know, again, these 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 things that are going to always be body weight placements. You know, a lot of times a cam is a body weight placement because you can't get it in there. You know, it's on two lobes mm. or whatever. 
but you know there's certain aid gear a hook you know you're hooking on a little tiny edge and as soon as you leave that edge the hook comes with you Mm -hmm. so every you know move you make there's no protection so um yeah so so it's an engineering feat in a lot of ways um and again so much of that was parody and joking even at the time but the idea that like you know you have to be like a Savelt, you know, fit person to eight climb was is proven wrong because a lot of those old wall climber dudes were not like these physical specimens. Yeah, I think you, you know? joked that half the time they were half drunk or yeah, whatever. Else. I mean, that was part of the lore. Yeah, was how <laughs> fucked up you'd get to do your pitches. You know, uh-huh. so you know, so it, but you know, it's like the mental game of climbing is nothing is is a huge part of it. And, yeah, and so for me to dismiss that is silly because it's in a lot of ways aid climbing is all mental mm. and that's the appeal of it mm. you know and that was the appeal of it for me mm-hmm. it's all mental you're mm-hmm. up there you're hanging on hooks you're just like out there and it's scary and you're just like i gotta stay in control mm-hmm. you know a lot of the stuff you use for free climbing especially track climbing and there's a huge mental aspect to sport climbing but it's different it's not so much fear control so yeah, I mean, it's, so it's like it's silly to dismiss it. Sure, it was silly in the aid rant to dismiss it sure. because I did it forever, you know, and I'm proud of the climbs that I did. Okay, so it was a ton of parody, but man, you know, this was also early internet. Yeah, and it, I mean, it pissed everybody off. <laughs> well, either that or they thought it was awesome. Okay, you know, <laughs> polarizing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just like there's so much of climbing that it has a mythology around it. Mm-hmm that is so easily like you can poke holes in it mm-hmm. just like any mythology mm-hmm. but it's funny because at the same time i also embrace the the norman cast embrace the mythology mm. you know we embrace the image of climbing as this thing that's like super death defying and but you know and we all revel in the fact that the the common public thinks that we're these like incredible you know like <laughs> courageous but we're all just climbing a rifle it's like going golfing you know <laughs> It's like nothing's going to happen. I totally. mean, unless you screw up. But right. You could screw up on that road, you know, and whack a deer and be sure. dead too. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, I, that, that, the Adrian is, it's cool because it actually was a bit of a calling card when the Enormicast started. Okay. Because it was out there and it already had like 50,000 views. Okay. Um, okay. Which was a lot at the time. You sure. Know? Like <laughs> early. Still a internet. lot of people have seen it. It was really video. early YouTube. I remember uh, BJ, my friend BJ, put it on YouTube and I was like, YouTube? Oh, I've heard of that. You know? <laughs> So, <laughs> well, I wanted to bring it up because I actually got a listener question about the aid rant. Okay, Nathan wants to know what exactly you you just touched on a six being you rip the pitch and the belay, so you not only die mm-hmm. but your belayer mm-hmm. dies too. Mm-hmm. What exactly might constitute the mythical grade of a six plus? <sighs> Is that <laughs> I've never heard of? Uh, you know, <laughs> it sounds like something Jim Byer probably came up with. Okay. Um. So yeah, A6 plus is like you you rip the pitch and the belay and then you you kill someone on the ground. Like you land on them too. You know, that that's probably it. I, it's I more guess. carnage. Yeah, there's just like you know, your rope and your other your, like clean off like three other parties off the wall beneath you. That's how gnarly like it is. Like in Vertical Limit. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that was a actually the opening scene of Vertical Limit A6 plus. 100%. <laughs> perfect (laughs) glad we solved that one Mm -hmm. i love this next question from this is from nathan too what is the best way to train for hard aid in a gym i don't think you're allowed to (laughs) 
Is, I mean, is he being serious or is he like, he's probably he's trolling? Probably, probably joking. Okay. Uh, definitely not bouldering. Probably not climbing at all. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, if they allow booze in your gym, that's probably just sitting there talking shit at, you know, they, all gyms have a little lounge area. Sure. Yeah, sitting in the lounge area, talking shit and drinking. If you can get Cobra, um, King Cobra or Old English uh, malt liquor, one of those two. Yeah, just you and a buddy posted up like crushing cobras all afternoon in the gym would be perfect training for wall climbing. Perfect. Perfect answer. So what caused you to move away from aid climbing? <laughs> um, in the video, you joke that you're ref- you are reformed. I'm a reformed aid climber. Yeah. The truth of the situation is that um, I mentioned earlier in this conversation that I was almost treating it like sport climbing like this is too easy this is i need this hard like and and it was that thing of like you want to push yourself yeah and i'm still alive Uh i mean if you want to get down to the literalness of it not that i was on a suicide thing but if you're if you're advancing the a the grades and that that's a big distinction that you know aside from my poo-pooing the um the grades i always say that a climbing is a lot like kayaking Mm. and that with difficulty it gets more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Free climbing does not have to be like that. Right. And in fact, in some ways, I always say like a 514 is safer than a 5.6. Yeah, there's bolts every four feet. Yeah, and you feet. can fall and it's steep and you're going to fall into space. Sure. You know, 5.6, you're going to bounce off ledges for sure. Right. So with aid climbing, it, the difficulty makes it more dangerous. It's all about, I mean, the whole grading system is about how dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. So pursuing it, means you're pursuing your own demise in a theoretical way. Right. And so, and I realized that. You're like, oh, I've, I've lived to this point. It couldn't have been that hard. Yeah. I can do harder. I can do harder. Right. And it's like, okay, well, what if I can't? You know, and I, in my mind, it was that I would back off, mm. not that I would fall to my death. Okay. But at some point, I just had this notion of like, you know what? I'm good. Like this is, I've climbed, you know, the reticent wall. I did uh, the second ascent of that with some guys. Um, I soloed this thing called Gulfstream, which was modern A4 plus quite hard. Um, And then I was like, yeah, this is probably good. You know, and actually I did Gulfstream specifically as like, this is going to be my last big wall route for now Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. I ended up doing one more with, um, with an old friend who's passed away named Mike Borquet. Handsome Mike, Dirty Mike, um, depending on how you looked at him or what you called him. But um, <laughs> I did a wall with him after that, but it was because uh, he talked me into it. Okay. And it was it was on Leaning Tower, and it was not super, super hard. Um, so, yeah, I, I, like, made a conscious decision of, like, I'm good. Like, this is this is a pursuit that's not getting me anywhere. Yeah. You know, and I, I it was part of, like, I had formed that opinion, you know, about the whole culture behind it mm-hmm. is I wasn't that into it and also you know I've said this on the show a lot and I don't want to harp on it too much but the culture climbing culture in Yosemite wasn't that cool then hmm. there was a lot of sort of backstabbing and like you know one up and shit yeah, yeah. And, and and I was never part of the scene because again I would come in and out I mean I was there enough and I knew a lot of these guys and stuff and had garnered the respect of some of the like hardcore locals um, like Steve Gerberding and stuff, but there was other people that it's just, I'd go into the Yosemite and I'd leave and I just feel like these people, I'm, i you know, like who did this and who, you know, just smack talking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I was kind of over Yosemite as well. Okay. So those are the two things. But it was like, yeah, a conscious decision about wanting to live. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever do it anymore? Um, Not like, uh, let's see, when was the last time I got the Aiders out for real? Um, I aided uh, a route in the black as a first ascent to, um, as a way to get it set up to free climb. Okay. Was, I think, like three or four years ago. No, five or so. Okay. But it was, you know, it was like not super heinous aid climbing okay so yeah it's more of like this thing a tool i mean you know i have aided pitches to be able to mini traction um okay track climbs and yeah stuff. yeah so it's cool i mean you got that in your in your bag of tricks that skill set but to go out and do a wall fuck i can't remember the last time i did that okay a, 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 a uh aid climbing wall yeah are you gonna teach your son miles how to aid climb no <laughs> i mean <laughs> i'm gonna introduce miles to climbing yeah and then Whatever he does with that is up to him, you know, to be, to take the question more seriously. Like, you know, I just don't believe in turning him into a climber by force, if Mm -hmm. you will. So Mm -hmm. if he starts climbing and then he wants to know how to climb, of course I'll teach him Mm -hmm. because if he, he's going to, if he decides he's going to do it, he's going to do it, you know? And so it's like, it would be better if I like got him sorted out. Okay. Um, so Yeah. But I would probably be more apt to, like, you know, get Dave Alfred, like, pay him $1,000 to teach Miles how to aid climbing. Okay. And he would end up better than what I could teach him. So, because <laughs> so, it's changed. I mean, there has been advances. Sure. Yeah. But hopefully he doesn't want to do that. Okay. It'd be better than kayaking, though. Yeah. I'm terrified of him becoming a kayaker or something. But, but what he wants to do, he'll do, you know. Right on. Yeah. Cool. When did the when and where did the free rider come into play? God, I, I still don't even know. It was like 2008. Okay, I think. Okay, this is quite a while later. Yeah, I had gone. Yeah, I probably hadn't been to. I had been back to Yosemite because I think I did that wall in '96. When did you move away from LA? Um, at the end of the '90s. Okay, so right after that, like to Carbondale. Um, no, I was in Gunnison. I went to college oh, okay. to get my teaching certificate. Oh, right on. Because I just had an English degree. Gotcha. So I went to Gunnison. Okay. So I was down there um, at the at Western State. Yeah, I mean, I don't... It might have been 14 years since I'd been to Yosemite. Maybe I'd been back. Maybe it was 2006. Anyway, it was right in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, I just got the notion that... Well, and this still remains the case, but especially then, like people who are trying to free climb El Cap, you either were like a really incredibly awesome, strong climber. Okay. You know, particularly like the Euros, mm-hmm. like 514, nothing, sure. you know, or you were a really good wall climber and like a mediocre free climber. Okay. And I actually, and those two kind of were having different, very levels of success. And I think I felt like, the wall climber who was an okay free climber, you know, had to climb the grade, mm-hmm. but not much beyond it, had an actually better um, chance. Hmm. Because I just kept hearing, you know, it's like these guys would go up there and just the hauling and the, you know, and mm. this was before people were just like banging it out in a day all the sure, time. Yeah. Shit. All that was kicking the shit out of them. Yeah. You know, logistical so crux. Yeah. So I thought, like, oh, you know, I've got that in the bag. I'm okay. a good crack climber. 
You've been spending um, a ton of time in the creek in the black. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. But it's and then I went on a road trip where I climbed for like a month and a half on the way there, kind of. Okay. Um, but the funny thing was is that I was like, oh, crack climbing, crack climbing, crack, and then the fucking crux is a boulder problem. Like you really <laughs> should be bouldering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask. So you yeah. did the boulder problem over the Teflon corner. Yeah, and and um, the important thing. First of all, I went up there on a recon from the ground. Um, like a two or three day one, because I I may have done the free blast before, but I don't remember. But I hadn't been above that, so I went up there and I did. Uh, we went up and and messed around on the Boulder Palm, but it was super hot, mm-hmm. so we didn't do it. We weren't able to do it. Um, and then we came down, and then the rest of it was on site mm. from the ground. Okay. And what is important is that I followed. I ended up following the Boulder Palm. Okay. Because we did it partner style. So yeah. I, we swapped pitches. Team free. Yeah, team free. So Who were you with? Uh, this guy named Rob Van Arnhem from, from Crested Butte. Okay. Um, and so anyway, anyway, so that's like a big caveat of, of a free Is it easier to top rope the boulder problem? I, I mean, in a way, probably. Okay. You know, and we just, that day, we just banged ourselves at it. Okay. And then he did it and then I did it. And then it was like, my tips were shredded and it was kind of time to move on. Yeah. Um, but there's another part of that as well, but um, philosophically. But the, the thing that like, I still make up for that is that I then proceeded to onsite the enduro corner oh sick yeah so it's like you know in my mind i'm like you know i'm proud of the ascent yeah but, you know there's all the levels of like caveats of like versus the the person with a jugger leading every pitch sure. which i did not do gotcha um, okay. but it's like i don't really care because it didn't garner me like any sort of like you know sponsorship or anything it's just <laughs> something that we did uh-huh. and and so just the other thing part of it is this guy named rob arms old climbing partner of mine from crested Beach. so he showed up we're gonna do the free rider he shows up and he's just like oh my god like you know i'm so out of shape and i'm really sorry but i've been he's a roofer he's like i just been working so hard but i'm totally psyched to go up there with you and we'll you know support you blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. but you know but we'd always climb together as partners so it was still gonna be partner but then he proceeded to on-site all but two pitches of it holy shit yeah so Holy he shit. fell on that a couple times, and the then boulder. and then he fell. He also fell on the five twelve traverse. Okay, and so but, right, <laughs> like I mean he it was what okay. Back up a second. It wasn't a true onsite. Like in nineteen ninety three, he freaking eight climbed it. Okay, yeah, but it's tiniest asterisk like ever. Fifty, you know, whatever. Fifteen years later, whatever. Yeah. So I mean, just like dude, dude's the man. He's how, the man. How hard is the enduro corner? Uh, I think they call it 12C maybe. Okay. 12 plus, somewhere in there. Sick. Yeah, yeah. So it was a fun ascent. Yeah. You know? Was it a big deal for you? You know, I, I'm not like a big deal guy. <laughs> Take after Honold. You know, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm definitely proud of it. Yeah. It, you know, with the asterisks and whatever. And, uh, you know, but it was like, yeah, I was stoked. Yeah. You know? um, but then you, it's like I was, um, you know, came home and you went on to the next thing yeah you know because it's not like this was also you know the internet was around but no instagram or nothing so you didn't you, there's no way to like mm. inform the world mm-hmm. you know so your friends knew and you were stoked and yeah so you got there you guys lowered in looked at the boulder problem no no we came from the ground and okay to look at the boulder problem did, what did you say you checked out beforehand just that okay we just this other oh, guy okay. um oh, okay uh uh, Tim Deroney? 
Yeah, Tim Deroney. We just climbed from the ground over mm-hmm. like three days because we both wanted to check it out. Yeah. And I wanted to climb the monster. Okay. Yeah, so we did it ground up to there and then just came back down. Okay. Not with any intention of free climbing the whole thing or climbing the whole thing. Like okay. We, yeah, it was just a full recon mission. But it's, it's weird because it was like the idea of coming in from the top mm-hmm. wasn't like that well wasn't a thing well it was because the the hubers always did it oh okay but i i feel like you know the hubers were still part of a generation where you didn't exactly like hide the fact that you did that but you didn't (laughs) it wasn't like a big part of the story right you didn't Um, advertise it and for me and for rob we were very much in this like you go ground up Mm -hmm. and we had actually tried the um Another time we tried the, before that, the Moonlight Buttress. Okay. And here's the funny thing is that like the idea of red pointing a pitch in the middle of a climb was just not like we went to free climb the Moonlight Buttress. Mm -hmm. And if you fell at at all, at all, yeah, it was over. You didn't free climb it. Gotcha. You didn't pull the rope and, and I'm not like busting on that, but it just, that's just how it was. We just came from a world where like that, that was, hadn't occurred to us. That was the paradigm. So if you fall, it's like, well, you fuck, you're done. Yeah. And, and on the, <laughs> on El Cap, we definitely did that finally. Okay. This idea of like, we'll redo the pitch. Okay. You know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Although, it's, uh, another thing, Team Free is, is, um, cause there's another asterisk is that when, Rob fell on the traverse. He didn't repeat it. Oh, okay. So he actually technically didn't free climb the whole thing either. So technically, gotcha. it wasn't even a team free. Okay. So anyway, there's a lot of asterisks. <laughs> Everybody, I just lost like 300 listeners. <laughs> Fuck that guy. How many but times has he mentioned the free there, rider? There's no way to do that. Right. The traverse. I mean, it's, it would be really hard to go. To get both back people over go there. back and do it. So right. he didn't care. It wasn't important. You'd to have him. to like Don Wall yeah, it. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, he, he screwed up and then he got back on and finished the pitch. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, and that was like day five. Like we weren't about to do some big rigmarole to try to, to clean up this like two feet of climbing that he didn't do. Gotcha. So, yeah. So you did one recon and then went ground up on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty good. Thanks, man. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. something I'd love to do someday. It just didn't occur to that's us to, to do anything else, but try to go from the ground. Okay. Yeah. Cool. From there... So you, it's, it's really interesting. So you start out with traditional climbing, you get interested in aid through learning about the history of climbing. You're doing kind of both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then seems like you focus back in on free climbing more. And then it seems like the, the next big shift or chapter for you started with learning to fly. Yeah. I'd love to ask you about that route. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, learning to fly is a route out in Indian Creek. That's 513. Short, um, overhanging, finger crack. Steep and hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very sport climby. And I put um, I, I put an anchor on it and then didn't do the first ascent because this cat named Didier Bertude, who was like a he's Swiss guy that was like a hotshot crack climber for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was gunning for the, the Cobra Crack. Cobra first Crack, ascent, yeah. yeah. And, then, uh, and then he literally uh, bailed and joined a Christian commune yeah. in Switzerland. <laughs> and I actually... I just got an email from him like two months ago. No he, way. He's, he's climbing again. Okay. He's out of the commune. He's still 
you know, a dedicated sort of Christian and part of the yeah. community, but he's climbing again. Fascinating. And he shot me an email to let me know. So. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So he may be back. <laughs> but anyway, he ended up doing the first sin. I just gave it, I mean, gave it to him, whatever. That sounds like super arrogant, but, uh, you know, said, yeah, you can do this climb if uh-huh. you want, because I don't think I can do it for a while. And You'd was, gone up it, put the bolts at the top. Yeah, and, and like top roped it, it and like, you know, it was just like, Jesus, this thing's hard, you know? Mm. And I was a sport climber by then, but I'd only kind of dabbled in sport climbing. Okay. I had no like beef against it, but I wasn't a sport climber in this, in the approach. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go climbing and I'd clip bolts, mm-hmm. but I hadn't yet like made the switch in my mind of how you sport climb, mm-hmm. you know, with projecting and all that and pyramids and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So seven years later, <laughs> when I actually did learning to fly, not too long ago, actually, 2012? Yeah, probably something like that. Because, yeah, it was five or six years ago. And so, or seven years ago. Um, by that time, I had become a sport climber, a proper sport climber. Mm-hmm. You know. I want to read a quote from you. Okay. This is from an article that you wrote for Evening Sends. Okay. The day I sent Learning to Fly. <laughs> this is you talking about your early attempts on Learning to Fly. You wrote, I was a trad climber. It didn't really matter whether the route was one pitch or 25. I always had eight pounds of cordelette and a menagerie of other flotsam hanging off my Carhartt-clad ass. In Tradland, scary often substituted for hard, and I rarely tried roots more than once or twice. Yeah. That's fantastic. Thanks. <laughs> um, I loved reading that. Yeah. So you really had to kind of reinvent yourself as a climber for that one. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and, and, that, and that's also when I kind of had this philosophy, and still have it, that, that Indian Creek's actually sport climbing. Okay, you know, and I say that partially to be a smart ass, but also because the approach for hard climbing in Indian Creek is the same as the approach for sport climbing. Mm. And I've always said that the bolts don't make the sport climbing mm. because there's all bolted roots in places like Joshua Tree that are not sport climbs. <laughs> all you do is clip bolts, like three of them mm-hmm. in like 100 feet, but they're a bolted route. Mm-hmm. So the sport climbing to me is an approach. And the approach is, is that you... You work the route, you project it, you, you know, train for it by doing other routes that, you know, lead you to that grade. You know, it's one pitch climbing in the creek by and large, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's a day at the crag if you're projecting a crack is the same as the day at the crag if you're projecting a sport climb. You just have cams. Mm. And there, the cams aren't confusing and they're solid. I mean, I know they, there are stories of them pulling, but usually you know which one might pull and a good well-placed like green camelot or purple camelot which is most of the hard climbing there is mm-hmm. is a bolt okay you know it's gonna catch you mm-hmm. so that's the thing is i started i looked at learning to fly and i was like okay this is how i need to do this hmm. and then the other thing and and um about that is that you know i had switched my brain and look i didn't have like this huge problem with projecting roots or trying them more than once i just it, it, my you know i would i just wanted to do other routes sure you know and it was i'm sure a cultural thing yeah that was how climbing was you just go climb that and you don't waste your time climbing it again and yeah. oh bummer i didn't onsite it and i never get a chance to onsite it again except for at your local crag or whatever i mean repeating climbs but like if mm-hmm. i was in yosemite you know you fell off you suck you go do something else you know <laughs> like too bad for you hmm. you weren't up to the challenge so um yeah, so that that's the, the learning the fly thing is was and I, I I think I set it up like that in that article. Um and then there was the whole taping thing too, but that 
but it was more the philosophy of like, I got to go and figure this thing out, move for move, get beta, mm. you know, because that's the other thing about on-siting is you just fucking throw yourself at the damn thing. Sure. You know, you'd maybe try to like figure out beta from the ground. And with a lot of the splitters there, there really isn't much beta. Right. Yeah. But again, like looking back at Didier, he did it like sport climb. Yeah. He was like ticking holds. And yeah. Like the first time he tried it, he didn't stuff. even try it. Huh. You know, he just was like, okay, this thing's too hard. I'm not going to onside it. I'll just go up there, clean it. Yeah. So, you know, he just suss it. Yeah. Suss it. Yeah. You know, with no like onside attempt. And I still, and you know, cause I have all these tratty tendencies. Like I have a tendency to still at least try to onsite the thing the first time. Okay. Even well above my grade. Even okay. if I fucking hang on the second bolt. Yeah. I left the ground with like, man, there's a chance. Even a rifle? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sweet. Because why not? Cool. Yeah, why not? What if you pulled one out? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I could probably take a page out of that book. <laughs> what if you pulled one out, Especially man? You'd be rifle. like a fucking king on top of like... Anyone have beta? Right. Anyone? So, yeah. please. So that was when you started sport climbing more in rifle? Yeah, I mean, I, it was more location. I came back. I, I got okay. a job. Um, I was in Gunnison, then I got a job here teaching in 2000. Okay. And that's when, like, I kind of got over my aversion to rifle. Okay. <laughs> you know, because I'm like everybody, you know, it's like if you go in there as a trad climber or, like, even as, like, a moderate sport climber, it's a brutal place. Mm -hmm. And it kicks your ass and, you know, and it's hard, you know, it's hard for people even if they are good sport climbers and they climb elsewhere. Mm -hmm. There's a learning curve. I mean, you've probably felt that on this oh, trip. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and so it's like a lot of people, they get bummed and then they never come back, uh -huh. which is fine. Right. But here I am. Yeah. Know? And so um, moving into climbing uh, there a lot and getting a feel for it and then, you know, falling in love with it for the most part. Not every single time, but mm -hmm. but yeah. Are there any routes there that were most pivotal for you um, in kind of making this shift? Any that taught you the most or anything? Yeah, you know, mind? one that I, it's kind of funny that it's not, it's can, uh, Cantina Boy. Okay. Which is... Is that 12D? No, 13B. 13 yeah. Okay. Yeah, the D is Tammy the Canteen Boy. Oh, that's so confusing. Famous D. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I just played Yasna on that. <laughs> yeah. A few days ago. And uh, that one was like uh, one I remember, first of all, it was, I think, probably my first sport climbing 13B. Okay. You know, in the creek, they don't use letters. Sure. But I always think of like 13, no plus, no minus as being like BC. So okay. I'd done those before. But yeah, so I was like, and, and it was one where I just was like, I got into the red point problem of like training yourself to fall off. Mm. You know, when you try a move over and over and over again, and you fall off every single time, you start to train your body to let go of that hold. Hmm. Like, you, you know, that pattern. you grab that hold and it, and your body says, oh yeah, this is where we let go. Because <laughs> this is what you've done 25 times in a row, you suck. <laughs> and so it's like, that was the first one where I really grappled with a lot of the mental train, not training, but mental problems. <laughs> that sounds funny too. Um, whatever, the, the, the mental game of, of red pointing. Sure. Right? Always thinking like, well, you know, the mental game is part of trad climbing because you have to climb when you're scared. Mm. That's mental game. And mm -hmm. I had never really like put together what the mental game of sport climbing is. Mm. And that is a really challenging mental game yeah. of, again, trying something 25, 30, whatever times, and then finally, you know, overcoming that moment is a huge, wild mental game. 
because of again training yourself to fall off Mm -hmm. you know so that i just remember that one being i finally did it and i i don't i don't like hardwire how many tries i did but it was a shit ton okay and it was the first time where i was just like jesus christ and i'd leave the ground and just be like oh god i gotta climb up there again and overcoming all that is really hard Hmm. and um so it taught me a lot about that and i haven't climbed much harder actually ever okay but i'm still a trad guy like really yeah so when i get into the teens on tries i get kind of bored i was gonna ask have you have you engaged in that process more since then yeah okay. by accident though. okay <laughs> like where i'm into the teens and then i'm into the 20s and i'm jesus, just like I'm jesus christ <laughs> you know the, the other problem is logistically at this point in my life having a long-term project like that is difficult mm-hmm. and also like bad for my relationship and stuff okay because then i'm trying to talk steph into goading to rifle because I got to get on my project. Right. And it's like... She's not into it? She likes Rifle, but not every fucking weekend. Okay. You know? Yeah. And so it's like... And then you become that conniving person that's mm. like, yeah, I think we should go to Rifle, you know? Like, <laughs> and she's like, I know why you want to go to Rifle. It's like, yeah. And then you have to go to the same wall and you have to warm up the same way. And uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. You know? So, so I don't... It's, it's kind of like I'm a little scared of that process right now. Okay. With my life. Because it also very quickly can become multi-season because I just can't get out there and climb enough. And multi-season projects, uh, I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're out there, technically. Okay. There's shit I've tried a bunch and but, never yeah, did. Yeah, I gotcha. But I tend to, like, walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. So, back to learning to fly. You mm-hmm. said it took you seven years. How much do you think you actually tried it in that time frame? I imagine it was pretty on-off here and there i would say honestly less than 20 tries sure that's kind of what i was guessing yeah because and i think i explained that in there is when i would first try it i would just shred myself okay it's one of these cracks it's so thin it goes just past my first knuckle Mm -hmm. not past my second and i didn't think i could tape for it because Mm -hmm. it would make my finger just that much bigger Mm -hmm. and so i'd go up there and like try as hard as i could and i would rip the piece of flesh right behind your cuticle and flap it so i would just try it once really or maybe twice if i could like get that flapper to stay down okay and then you're not like coming back tomorrow so it was this weird thing where if we happen to be at the wall i happen to be interested (laughs) but i had it out of my mind Uh and then when i went back to it it actually was only a couple weekends okay um, but I was the... in really good shape. Okay. From yeah. rifle, from sport climbing? From sport climbing, but I'd also done Ivory Tower on, oh, yeah. on uh, Castleton that season. Yeah. And that's sport climbing, but still um, some crack on it, but that's like face climbing. But still, I was just in, you know, and I was like, quote unquote, training for that okay. in the way that I would, which is... Climb a lot? Yeah, climb a lot. <laughs> okay. So. That's a, what, four pitch route with the 13B crux? Right. Okay. Yeah. Did that know. with Sam? Yeah, Leitner. Sam Leitner bolted it. It was okay. really his route. And then um, I ended up freeing it with uh, him. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So one last thing with learning to fly. What was the advice that you got from Pee Wee? Well, it was about taping and about um, gluing your tape down. Super gluing the yeah, tape. Yeah, super gluing the tape, which I think is elementary, especially in sport climbing worlds. It's funny. Yeah, a lot of people are doing it now. Yeah. I've still never done it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not, your tape doesn't like get rubbed off. But yeah, that was it. Um, and then some pretty specific, I'm looking at my hands right now. <laughs> so it's podcast land, but it's pretty specific ways to tape to make sure your fingers don't get bigger. 
Okay. Because that's like the game is that you're with small finger cracks. If you put a layer of tape, your sure. fingers are bigger. So ways to tape to keep the tape on, you know, was kind of important. He talked to me too about using like little pieces of rubber from like inner tubes that he does for yeah. like particular spots but i didn't get into that for that route okay um i didn't quite get how it worked i'd have to practice with it some but that was um, more for like rattly fingers right yeah and like a little bigger and, and again it's it's to it's basically like the same way you would put like um moleskin on like a hot spot for mm. for a blister it's like anticipating the spots that are gonna tear okay on your hand okay. sometimes they'll tear even under the tape yeah because you sweat and stuff so it's more of a prevent it's it's to help you climb it don't get me wrong like you know it's it's definitely helping you climb it it's an aid if you will um but part of it is just preventing and with this it was preventing the skin getting destroyed so you, i could try it more than once sure and so i was able to try it three times in a session which i would never done before gotcha Plus, there was often months, even seasons between trying it. <laughs> and so it's like I never collected any beta. Okay. And so the fact that I think I I want to say when I did it, I went one weekend and then a couple weeks later I went and did it. Okay. And the one weekend was the Didier style of like, I don't even need to try this thing mm. for Just real. I'm going to go out. up there, decide where I'm going to put my gear, decide where my jams go, decide how my taping is going to work specifically. And then I'll come back. Yeah. Um, so that, again, sport climbing in my mind, even though it was a crack. Okay. Like getting it sussed. Gotcha. Do you have a most memorable first ascent? Um, gosh, that's that, that's recently pretty good. A, th- a whole chapter we skipped yeah. uh, is Canada, the Canadian Rockies. Okay. And so when I was teaching and I had summers off, I would go five summers in a row, I'd go climb in the Banff. Banff, Calgary area, okay. and the Ghost River mostly, but also all over the Bow Valley, which is where Yamnuska is and stuff like that, and sport climbing too, and that's a big, big root place. But um, and the Ghost River is also like single pitch to like six pitch roots, and but not a lot of rock climbing there. So pretty quickly, I started putting roots up there mm. um, under the tutelage of this guy named Andy Jenneru, who, if you're a Canadian Rockies climber, you've a hundred percent clipped some of his bolts he's super prolific okay first ascensionist so he kind of taught me how to uh bolt on lead with a power drill was like the big um okay the big revelation of climbing and oftentimes free climbing and bolting with a power drill um up to like 510 <laughs> okay and a big power drill this was years ago so <laughs> um but he taught me how to do that and he would do that like sometimes he would go and put up a five pitch route ground up bolting it and you're done. Damn. Yeah. It's sick. So I changed that a bit and I started aid climbing mm. a lot and hooking and stuff. So I brought the aid climbing in because it's limestone. And then uh, and then I would solo a lot of them too. Because a lot of times when you're on that limestone, you're cleaning, you can't have a belayer below you. Mm. But going top down didn't always make sense either. So Because um, you're knocking shit off. And like- yeah. And, and, and just the problem I had with the top down is that you didn't always know if the route was going to go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want, as best as I could, I didn't want like a five. I did end up putting one up by accident, but a 512A-O route where you have to like clip, pull on some bolts. Mm. So I wanted to know the route would go. And mm-hmm. even if like you left the ground, because there's a lot of routes there that were two pitches and then you just come down in the mm-hmm. middle of a wall. So at least if you left the ground, you'd know, okay, pitch three, I just ran into the worst rock in the universe. It's a two pitch route and you wrap it. 
-hmm. So you've created a route that's climbable. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the top down thing didn't always tell you that unless you fix the whole thing. But anyway, um, so there's a route there called Premonition, which is a pretty rad, like six pitch, 512 up this huge overhanging cave. Oh, cool. And that was partially like the opener for my seasons there. It was the first route I did, big route I did. And so, um, and it's sick. Like, it's super sick. Cool. It's four overhanging pitches, and um, we had some problems. The other problem with the with top-down and fixing ropes is we had a rat chew a rope on that one. Oh. And so the second-to-last rope, and my buddy jugged on it, um, and then I found it coming in from above. Oh, man. Um, but they chewed it. You know, it was, it was the core was mostly there still, yeah. but it was definitely like, holy shit. So that was another problem with like the approach gotcha. um, of ground up fixed lines all got a little more complicated when you had um, rats. <laughs> and he, it came down from the top, like in the middle of the wall. I don't think it was a bigger problem, but anyway. Um, yeah. So that, that, that was a really memorable because it was also part of like three or four seasons up there putting mm. roots into the ghost river and, um, premonition you said yeah it was called premonition the okay it's called premonition so and then you know i another thing that i did that maybe a little lost history is we went to wadi rum in jordan yeah and put up a 10 pitch 13a there did you was there a film about that yeah yeah there okay. was a, a, is a long lost dvd about <laughs> about that trip that aaron black made okay a canadian photographer and videographer and this guy named gene gamalowski who came and and shot it okay and it was with uh, ben firth and uh heidi wirtz Okay. Went and Ben Firth uh, from Canmore. Yeah, so we put up this big uh, 10 pitch route there. And it turned out really cool, really cool route. And it was just a wild trip. We were there for five weeks, which was a long time. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and it's on the same wall. There's a very famous uh, petit, uh, Arnaud Petit route called Le Garçon, um, the war prince or whatever that means, something like that. Okay. And, uh, or warlord or something like that. Okay. In French. But, uh, that's a really famous 12B, and, and it's on the same wall. And okay. It's a really rad route. Our, um, it got repeated by Alex. Honold repeated it. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody's ever done it again. Whoa. Okay. Because it's like, at that time, you just put stuff into this book at the guest house in Wadi Rum. You know, it was like that old school of like binders. Yeah. And somebody said, I think uh, Jenny Fisher told me that those books are gone. Okay. Or at least the oldest ones are gone. So it may be lost to history at this point. Gotcha. But it's called Dar al Salam. And um, yeah, it's on Nasrani North, which is. What does that name mean? Uh, it's it's like the realm of peace. Okay. There's like the, the is it the. There's a country in Africa that's the capital. Is it Ethiopia? I don't know. I'll look remember. it up. But it's I'll it's a it it's a notes. common phrase in, okay. in uh in Islam. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Cool. I wanna switch gears a little bit. I have another listener question. And this is about being a dad. Okay. This is from Laurent and he wants to know how do you balance fatherhood and climbing? Any secret beta for a new father who'd like to keep improving at climbing while being present in his daughter's life? Embrace the gym. And if you're like one of these outdoor climbers where the gym is like this really big secondary thing, like just deal with it. Hmm. Um, if you want to keep like fitness, I would highly recommend tr uh, a training program. Um, I talked about it on the NormaCast. Uh, Chris Hampton at Power Company was training me this year. Yeah. And uh, just purely for efficiency, it's gold. Hmm. When you can only go to the gym for an hour and a half or an hour even, 
which is the kind of thing you're going to start negotiating in your life. <laughs> you don't want to go in there and wander around and, and, and fuck off. You want to have a program and it's really helpful to go in there and you're just like, okay, I got to warm up. That's 15 minutes, five minutes, warm down, you know, three bowler problems and take two minutes off. Like that's the kind of thing you get from a training program. Mm -hmm. And it's like gold. Hmm. Right. So those two things are really important. And then I don't know where Laurent lives, mm -hmm. but if he's living somewhere with no climbing and you only are destination climbing, you're probably fucked <laughs> until your kids can stay home by themselves. Mm -hmm. So hopefully he lives somewhere with a local cliff that's satisfying mm. and then... Or can move. Or can move. Yeah. Um, it depends on... I understand, you know, climbing is not the prime mover for a lot of people's lives, especially once they have kids. But it's, you know, living where I live with rifle... And, for someone asking that question, yeah. though, it's worth considering. Yeah. You know, I think we think of ourselves as being locked in. Yeah. And if you have a local cliff that you're totally sick of, then you're going to have to change your attitude. <laughs> and you're going to have to climb stuff that you never would have climbed before. Or whatever. Right on. Right on. So those things, and, and, you know, it's like, I don't boulder, but it's obviously a very, a much easier thing to do is to go out and get a bouldering session in mm. than, um, and, and the bouldering here is not that great either. So. Mm. A bouldering might have to enter your life because it's a really easy thing to do with kids because mm. you're not engaged. You know, you can do a burn on your boulder in 20 seconds and then before your kid runs off and falls on a cactus <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. And I have friends who boulder and they go on these trips and it's just ideal. We mm. just don't, we're not that into it. But um, I think that's another one that's a, a useful thing. Mm -hmm. um, because you're just not tied in and up on an anchor while your kid's floating down the river or whatever. Sure. You know. Do you so, boulder in the gym? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. of course. Yeah, our gym is only a bouldering gym. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. I've, I've tried to embrace it outdoors and it's not in my DNA to be, I like it. I go occasionally. I just, it's not going to be something where I'm like, okay, I got to do this V6 or whatever. Just, I don't know. I just don't have it in me. Yeah. Plus I'm older and I never trained power and it's, it's pretty hard to get a lot of power once you're my age. Just, that's just a fact. How old are you? 49. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. What about thoughts on like navigating this stuff with your partner? Like when you and I were talking about doing this, you're like, okay, Steph is trying to climb these days. That means I've got miles. And then I'm trying to climb these days, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm sure you guys try to climb together too when you can. So yeah, any thoughts on how to navigate that? Yeah, I mean, you just have to also, there's a lot of things aside from climbing that you're now gonna, gonna do a lot more separately than you did together. Hmm. And you, yeah, so climbing is one of them. And you're just going to have to live with that. I mean, the other, it's everybody's situation is different. Are your parents there? Do the, you know, do you have kid, grandparents that can, can grab the kid, that kind of thing. Um, but then the, then the, um, the, the local crag is important too in that because, you know, if, if Miles is in daycare, you know, we've got nine to four, mm. you know, so it's like, that's plenty of time to go climb here locally, sport climbing. Mm-hmm you know, and have a nice time together if we want to take the time off to do that. Mm -hmm. So those things, but yeah, the divide and conquer is a big part of raising kids, but it's also a warning is that it is a big point of friction mm. to where you will, you know, kind of wake up to your sense, come to your senses one day and realize that you haven't done shit together <laughs> in a long time. And it's one of the many stresses that go with having kids that can, can, you know, end a relationship sure and so yeah you just like a date night that's a common you know thing like where 
you have to arrange, you have to get a babysitter. And it's like this huge pain. It used to just like, hey, you want to go out to eat tonight? Yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of the conversation. Now it's like, well, who's, can we get to babysit? Blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. Every parent complains about it. Climbing is the same way. Mm. You have to look ahead and make the time to climb together or you will go six months where you've not climbed with your partner. Mm. And one person will be mad about it. <laughs> and we know who that is in this family. It's not me. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. We climb, we're supposed to climb together, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just beware. Like it's all, it's all doable, but and it depends on your situation. I have parenting friends, Elliot. I don't know if he listens to this. That seem to be in the canyon more than kid people, like more than mm. some 25 year olds that huh. don't have any kids. Okay, he's got two. He's making it work. I have no idea, but you know, every situation is different. His his you know wife obviously picks up the slack and mm. is, is maybe feels that's a role that she's willing to do mm. with Steph. We're, you know, we 50, 50 it, or even I'm actually more of a caregiver mm-hmm. or sorry. I'm more of a caretaker to, to miles because she's got more of a nine to five job. Gotcha. And she's paying the damn bills. So yeah, <laughs> gotta keep my, keep my little nest here <laughs> soft and fluffy for us. <laughs> so, right, right on. But yeah, those are all considerations and just, I think just check in, man. Mm. And also check in with yourself about like, am I, have I gone into this pattern where I, my, I'm ignoring my kid mm. and not ignoring them, but like, wh- what's my ratio? And am I caught in a cycle where I kind of am annoyed a little bit? Okay. You know, and, and it's all a mix because you're annoyed because your partner's taking too much time. You know, they seem to be getting more free time, you know, you just have to check your head all the time about mm. that and then, you know, make sure you're in your daughter's life. But don't, you know, don't like guilt yourself into doing that all the time. It's okay to leave your kid for a day and go climbing. Like, yeah. It's not going to like, you know, jack their development. Up. <laughs> and as a new parent, you're thinking about all that stuff all sure, the time. You're sure, sure. It's like, sure. well, what, what, how, you know, I want him to be, you know, in the gifted classes and what do I have to do? Like... <laughs> You know, get out of his face or her face is probably better than just hovering around them every damn day anyway. And also showing them as they get older, like, this is a this is a great life. This is a fun life. And adventure is great, mm. you know. And going into the outdoors is fun. And daddy's going to go do it by himself today. <laughs> <laughs> How old is Miles? He's four and a half. Okay. He's a little, he's a little more like a three and a half year old, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's pretty little, kind of young for his age and gotcha. little for his age and stuff. So. Okay. Has he come out climbing yet? Uh, no, nah, he swung. He, I mean, he's spent a ton of time in rifle. Okay. And just swung on the ropes mostly. Okay. Yeah. That's what. That's the other thing. They'll. That's what they'll want to do. Not climb. They don't give a shit about your stupid climbing game. They want to swing on those ropes now. Yeah. yeah gotcha. So. Well, cool. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of. A lot of good stuff there. I'm curious about this training you did with Odub, and I know you did a whole episode about it, so we don't need to get into the weeds too much. But is there anything from that that has really stuck with you, or another? Maybe pick either of these questions, whichever is more interesting. Anything that you wish you'd started doing earlier? Well, yeah. First of all, I'm off the wagon a little bit. I've fallen off the wagon oh, with the sure. training a little bit okay. um, at this moment. Um, it's been a busy fall for a lot of reasons. I know excuses are like assholes or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wish I had trained earlier mm. and and longer ago. Um, and, and maybe not even like way back, but you know, as someone who is 49, like. 
the whole my whole training thing and this was in in that show but it was was a lot about decline mm. and staving off decline as much as like oh i have this goal that i want to get to this grade or whatever i just know that i don't i'm not as strong as i was and i also know that the writing's on the wall mm. you know you, you if you aren't careful you're going to you you get out of shape really fast mm. when you're older you know okay and so you just have to be careful if you want to keep climbing at a certain level so that's all i was really interested in and then also staving off injury mm. as far as like improving my power and actually like increasing my grades i would have been better off 10 years ago yeah. and i think turning 40 if you're in this mindset like i am and this is a completely different reason to train than if you're like 21 or whatever I think 40 is a time when like it's a really would be a really really good thing to think about no matter who you are. Mm. And getting someone who understands a little bit about training someone who's a little bit older because you are going to be more prone to injury and stuff like that and things in training itself can injure you and that's like the worst kind of injury to get. Mm-hmm. Is like you were training for your climb and you got injured and can't do your climb. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So I think, but I think I still like had a lot of potential for gain then. I actually climbed really well in my 40s. Okay. Um, luckily, I was also climbing a lot. But yeah, I think, I think like that, that's something that I learned. Um, but he just, yeah, it's been great. Like he just, you know, really taught me how to kind of do it right and not jack myself up. And I'm not so like crazy about it that I'm going to push myself too hard, but I mm-hmm. think I found a good balance. Okay. Well, not right now. I didn't, but if he's listening to this, he's just like, <laughs> eat another donut, just give up. <laughs> is it as like heinous as you used to think it would be, or is I mean, is it more fun than you expected? Absolutely. Okay. It's not as heinous. It's way more fun. Cool. And it's way like you can do a lot less than you think mm. and still see gains and still see. God, it took me forever to learn that that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because. I just had to. Again, I yeah. have an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, I bike furiously, bike to the gym, and I don't even get through the workout that he gave me. Yeah. But, I st- but I'm still getting stronger. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, I think... constraints are really powerful. Yeah. It's ironic, but they really yeah. focus you. And, and again, like, you probably were looking, or are, continue to look for something different. And I think, like, if I wanted to try to get stronger, I would have to work harder at it. Okay. You know, and there's, like, the um, Bill Ramsey... You know, his philosophy is more is more, mm-hmm. right? But that was one thing I kind of was like, you know what? And and you read it all the time, but you don't believe it. It's like, yeah, two hangboard sessions a week are going to give you noticeable improvements, mm-hmm. especially, you know, maybe not if you already climb, you know, whatever, 514. But sure. if you're climbing 511, then two hangboard sessions a week is definitely going to show improvement. Sure, yeah. And so that it's true. Yeah. You don't believe it until it happens, you know? <laughs> But it's totally true. So those were kind of things that were really cool about it. And it, it's super fun. And one of the reasons I didn't like the bouldering gym in particular is because of that feeling of like, what am I actually, I don't love this for itself. So what am I doing here? Like I wander around, do a few problems, kind of get pumped. Mm. I guess I trained, mm. you know. So I liked it for this structure that it gave me too, mm-hmm. you know. I liked the structure. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Is there anything you would change about your climbing story, your trajectory, if you could go back? No. 
cool. No, I mean, I'm really like I had such I've had such a breadth of experience. Mm. I mean, mostly rock climbing. Um, I think I got to a level and still at a level and got to a level where, um, you know, I could. Well, Andrew Bisharat pointed this out to me that the one thing of, you know, we put all this into like, you got to climb harder and. You know, and there's a there's a bit of a rejection of that sometimes of like, you know, why do we have to put us? The cool thing about, you know, climbing harder than you do now is it opens up more things to go climb. Mm. Right. You can go to a cliff in like rifle, for example, if you climb 510, it is a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Because you've got two cliffs, really. And then they're smattering of other roots. And they're super greasy. Yeah. If you climb 512, you got roots at every single wall. Mm-hmm. And so... Th- Aside from the ego and everything else, it just opens terrain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he pointed out in the Dolomites, like he went on a trip to Dolomites and he looked up at a wall and like, that is so inspiring. I want to climb that wall. Mm-hmm. What are the roots? And it was all 512, but he climbed 512. Nice. So another person could look up and be, I want to climb that wall and you can't do it. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And I think I've, I, you know, got to a place with both track climbing and with sport climbing where I, I, you know, I obviously can't climb everything, but it, I can go everywhere and, and, you know, there are iconic 512s. I mean, there's iconic 511s too, but like I can go there and do a lot of stuff. And then also I have the experience where I can, you know, I can go do a new route in Wadi Rum, which involved a lot of eight climbing, even though it was mm. a bolted climb, you know, we did it ground up. So there's hooking and all that shit. Mm. I can go climb cracks. I can sort of climb off with, you know, <laughs> I'm not like, super into it so yeah and then all the travel i mean it's just so many great experiences i've been i haven't been to i haven't climbed in asia proper i think technically isn't the middle east in asia but i mean i've climbed a lot of places all over the world and yeah i don't i don't think so i kind of stepped away when i was uh you know teaching in a way i was still climbing but i came back to kind of the lifestyle mm. yeah so no it's it's hard to think of like oh if i've only done this oh wait okay you know, there was a point where I was like dabbling with the idea of sponsorship. Okay. And the wall climbing age, right? And I was climbing with a lot with Kevin Thaw, um, who's a name that's I don't know, he's not like a well known climber and but he's he was a badass and was a North Face athlete, is a badass, was a North Face athlete and uh he was you know, I'd go on his trips and he'd have all his A5 gear because that was when A5 was owned by, um, the original A5 was owned by North Face. And like, he'd be like, Kalush, you should, you know, he's British, but he kind of talked like a surfer. But yeah, so like, you think about getting sponsored, you know, I'd be like, yeah, you know, he's like, well, come on to the trade show. So I went to the trade show with him mm-hmm. and I just was like, again, this like steeped in this old guard and I was kind of like skeezy about it. Like, huh. I still was just kind of like, you know, I don't know. I can just buy my own gear. like. Yeah. And, but that was also when it, it didn't mean that much more than that. Yeah. You know, the greats were, were getting paid, but mostly it was like you'd get some shoes. shoes and stuff. And I, because I was guiding, like I got a lot of that anyway. Okay. And so just, <laughs> but, in, in, but in some ways, you know, the thing that it did open up even then is that you got to go on these big trips, hmm. you know, paid, paid trips. And so... I kind of wish I would have pursued it harder and mm. not had this weird like mental aversion to it mm. because I literally was like outside of the North Face booth and it's still this way. But then it was like you couldn't go into the North Face booth, like trade show 
aside booths are open you just walk around in them but okay. there's you had to get an appointment oh wow and and you know kevin was like oh i'm gonna go in and you know you should come in with me and i, and I was like the whole idea that i couldn't just go in there on my own volition <laughs> kind of like pissed me off and i was like nah forget it i'm out i'm gonna go get a beer yeah you know <laughs> who knows if i'd have walked through that door you know interesting yeah yeah and had at least a brief career it would have been kind of fun and and you know something that would just be another thing and i was a sponsored climber yeah you know? so didn't do it though <laughs> what about uh what about what's left for you in climbing is there anything that you haven't done that you hope your 80 year old self gets to tell your grandkids about not i don't think exactly that there's some places i still want to go okay um one of them actually is just tagia which is in in uh, morocco like okay big, big bolted climbs multi-pitch yeah. bolted climbs i had a trip there planned right before steph got pregnant okay and the funny thing is is she got pregnant in july and we were supposed to go in like september and i was like well cool you know i'll just like this will be like my last trip for and and she was just like in that like early pregnancy like mania and she was like no you're no way you're leaving me here blah 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 and I was like you're only gonna be two months pregnant like what's it you won't even like people won't even know yet but anyway that did conversation didn't go that well so I didn't go to uh, Tagia so I'd like to go there um, I don't really have like a big you know goal I kind of got my ass beat on the Golden Gate. Mm. I didn't think I was going to free it. This was two years ago. But I thought I'd go out there and have a look and mm. be like, well, could somehow I train in Carbondale to do this? And like, no, this is a joke, dude. I don't, <laughs> for me, at my age and my experience, like I'd have to go live in the valley okay. know, and climb granite and climb on it and be up there. And so sort of a weird little pipe dream that I thought maybe like that would be a goal to free climb Golden Gate. It's so much harder than the free rider. Well, okay. Um, just logistically too. I mean, the last, I don't know if you saw Jordan fell on his one day on the last moves oh, of the last hard pitch. Cause damn. you have to do the five thirteens at the end. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. hard. But anyway, um, Emily Harrington's trying it today. Right now. As right we, now. I'm sure she's probably done. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so it's like hard back to Laurent and his kid question. It's hard to have some sort of pipe dream goal that's r realistic. And the other thing is that when I think about going somewhere to climb, a hundred percent these days it's like i want to go climb with friends mm. and that's the more important thing mm. like you know my buddy wants to go to the verdon next year and um i've been there a bunch of times love it. it's one of my favorite places to go you know i'd love to go back there i've been there i've you know and i'd my friend alan lives lives there and see him you know so it's like it's more important than like, oh, I want to climb Ama de Blom or I want to climb, you know, the the Golden Gate or anything like that. I mean, I had a great time in the Golden Gate because I was with a really good friend, you know. So, or go to Spain again just because I want to see my friends that are there. Mm -hmm. So, that's going to be my climbing life is just, you know, making sure that the family is important and not to... Because I think if you have some goal and I've seen it and you get super, your ego wrapped up in it, it's when... Laurent's concerns become reality when you mm. are ignoring what you're supposed to be doing, mm. which is raising your kids and being a good, I'm not married, but a good partner. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I, I sort of like, I don't think I have, I'll, I wouldn't mind going to Patagonia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Have you been? No. Okay. Not, not, not like 
El Shaltan, Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Patagonia, the region, and to Cochamo, which is on the other side. Okay. Technically in Patagonia, but not what we think about as Patagonia. Gotcha. So, yeah, going and climbing like uh, Fitzroy or something would mm. be, you know, you can do that when you're old. <laughs> right on. You know. Cool. Yeah. So, there's a few things, but I'm not going to like obsess about them the okay. way you, way you kind of have to if it's like a really lofty goal. You can't just casually be like, I'm going to go and climb like that, like the Golden Gate. I was way too casual. <laughs> it's like I freed like, I don't know, maybe 50% of it. And that was all 510. <laughs> so, no, I did better than that, but still, <laughs> I didn't free anything harder than like 12A, but you know. What about the future of the a normal cast? So you've put out 207 episodes. As of today, you've yeah, got yeah, 207 today, yeah. episodes. Your first episode, December 2011. Mm-hmm. What's the future of the normal cast? Man, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I actually, this is not, I've never, it was actually, um, there was a sale offer um, that I had. Yeah. And where it was going to be owned by someone else and I was going to do it. I was going to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, and it got jacked up by the, by the, uh, the pandemic um and for me it was ideal because i i don't like the business and i'm not good at the business end of it Mm. and do i want to make tons of money off of it uh yes of course is it like in its dna not really but as a family man i can't justify the time if it's not at least some bit of money being pulled in it's just Mm. too much time Mm. You know, it takes away from other things that I could be making money, and I have this obligation. When I started it, I didn't really, you know, mm-hmm. and I never thought about it making money. Sure. Um, and it would make the whole reason to get rid of it is because it would make more money in another person's hands who was like good at selling things, mm-hmm. and that was the idea. They were going to do all the advertising. It was going to be wrapped up with a, a magazine and stuff. I mean, I'll just say it was Big Stone Publishing because they don't exist anymore. Yeah. What are they going to do about it? So that that actually is maybe good that it didn't happen. But um, um, that was Rock and Ice. Sorry. Bought by Climbing. Yeah, yeah. Rock and Ice was going to buy it. And it made sense because they've had trouble getting their podcast off the ground. Mm. And they have advertising cloud. It would just be bundled with other things. Mm. Um, so they were sure they were going to make more money off of it. So that was really cool. And it kind of like was definitely a heartbreaker because I was Mm. like, man, that's cool. I can just do the podcast, do the interviews, do the creative part and fuck all that other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm not good at it. Um, So anyway, anybody wants to buy it? So So I don't know. Some days I'm just like, oh God, when am I going to stop this? And then then I have a really great interview and I have fun and and it's fun and it's cool. And, you know, the reason I'm like kind of hemming and hawing is because this time of year, because I'm always late, actually. I should have done this by now, but I never do. Is when, you know, I've got to start to put stuff in the row for next year. Mm. And it's, you know, it's a f- weird year. Mm-hmm. And advertising dried up, but it shouldn't have. Because, oh, as far as sponsors. and Yeah, because these companies are all doing incredible business right now. Right. And they're sort of pretending as though everything's weird. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. But anyway, so I've got to be negotiating and I hate it. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, but for right now, you know, as long as there's like some people come to the table, it'll I'll bang out another year. You know? <laughs> um, and then I've got the the run out, which is the the other podcast with Andrew Bishrat has been helped me be more psyched about the Norma cast. Too. Okay, cool. Because that's collaborative. 
For people that haven't heard that right. yet, what's the premise of that one? It's, How's it different? It's a topic, kind of more of a topic show, and it's okay. the two of us. Mm-hmm. So instead of like having, you know, Will Gad on to talk about his whole life as a climber, which is what I did on the Enorma cast, you know, he's, I say that he didn't come on, but we, we were trying to get him on because he, he put out this new movie about climate change. Mm. So he would come on specifically to talk about that. Gotcha. And we don't go through his whole business and it's mm-hmm. like a short interview and it's sort of like a modern podcast style where, where we banter you know it's personality driven mm-hmm. where him and i talk a little bit we have an interview um our new format we actually uh ripped off of this uh podcast called the new abnormal okay um and so it's like yeah so it's it's different than the normal cast it's not a long form interview um and i I kind of imagine that as being part of the Norma cast originally, but then it fell into, you know, this, just this pattern of doing these long form interviews, mm. but I had stolen Mark Maron's. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. His format. So yeah. that's what he does. So that's what I do. Gotcha. So, but it was cool to have this collaborator. Yeah. And so podcasting with the Norma cast it, after this many years, it, it can be sort of drudgery a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, sitting there, but injecting that into it sort of like livened it all up. Cool. Okay. And that's got a Patreon, so that's trying to make money that way. So, and you and I have discussed some of the economics of podcasting. So, (laughs) we'll see how that goes. You know, totally. Do you have a episode from the normal cast that you would recommend for people that are checking it out for the first time? Uh, well, the two. Yeah, the two that put it on the map, if you will, were um, were the Hayden Kennedy episodes about the compressor route. Okay. uh, Chopping the compressor route which is seems like ancient history now and plus plus Hayden's passed away. But those ones are like the groove was okay. found where you know we're pretty irreverent, we were uh drinking a lot, but we also got super serious. Mm. You know because it was a, he, he, you know that was a hard time for him cuz he got a lot of shit for that and like the internet turned on him in a lot of ways and stuff. So but it kind of like set the tone and it's they're still good episodes okay. and still wild and then if you loved Hayden they're you know they're him in a in a nutshell he's just like his full personality hmm. um personally this goes way back uh one of my favorites is the Paul Piana episode okay and that's in the 40s maybe yeah um and that one is like not great sound we recorded it in a bar upstairs uh, not in a bar like in the culture loft which is above the lander bar but it was like oh, lunchtime right time and it was super loud like okay. the noise coming up but but the stories he told were just uh, incredible i and, think i've um, listened to that but i'm gonna go back and listen yeah again. well he just talks so about t- about todd dying okay not he wasn't there and they had they they weren't as strange but they he wasn't climbing at the time mm. and you know you could just like tell you know how how it affected him so mm. it was really a powerful moment so i really like that one and and uh you know that the peter croft one gets a lot of a lot of props and i think in a way it like set it apart because one of the things i think that's appealing about the enormous cast is that um and thanks for letting me advertise my podcast on your podcast <laughs> by the way is that i know a lot about climbing mm-hmm. and i walk into these situations I don't always know a lot about that person, but I know a lot about climbing. Mm-hmm. I've been here a long time. And um, I just heard through the grapevine that Peter was like, wow, he really knew what he was talking about. Oh, cool. And he was kind of, I think, 
it was at an event. It was at Red Rock Rendezvous. Okay. So he thought it was just kind of this media thing that he was supposed to do. Kind sure. Of I got that vibe from him. Sure. But then a few minutes in, like, he's like, oh shit. Well, and he literally like, you could see him sit up and get into it. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so I got a lot of good stuff out of him. So yeah, I think those are good ones. Cool. You know? Um, actually, the Katie Brown one this year was pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I've been and, meaning to check that out. And Katie was like out of climbing for a long time. And I, and she kind of like, that was like, you know, something that she wanted to do with me and, and uh, to kind of reintroduce herself in a little hmm. bit. And he's, she's working on a book. Okay. But who knows if that'll ever come out. Okay. Because <laughs> um, it's hard, hard for her to write about her past. It's, it's It was a difficult past. So, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. What about from the run out? um anything recent okay because we kind of like changed the style yeah we changed the style yeah um you know jonathan segris one that just went up okay um not too long ago but yeah just get into the recent ones because we we changed it up like like a i don't know like three months ago okay and um a lot of them the first ones were us sort of fiddling around okay not exactly knowing what we were up to <laughs> it's funny because it's the normal cast guy but that doesn't know what he's up to but um yeah I think it's gotten better cool yeah right on i'll link to all those in the show notes cool sweet thanks um what is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately this town that i live in okay yeah carbondale, carbondale colorado right on yeah i always joke that the the chamber of commerce owes me money because <laughs> of the norma cast and carbondale <laughs> the yeah and i mean i just know people <laughs> all my climbing friends are like yeah i was in france and then somebody asked me where i was from and i said carbondale and they're like that's where the norma cast is oh no way yeah yeah and like bonfire like people definitely know about bonfire from that so and it's just a great town and as far as like the the lockdown and the pandemic it's just it's been ideal i mm. mean we have great outdoors all around us you know even in the dead of the lockdown, you you know, I can just ride my bike out the door and, and be out of town in a minute. And um, that was super amazing. And just, you know, listening to what was happening in New York City in, in March, you know, it was terrifying. Mm. And so it was just great to be here and great to be around uh, this little town. It's very liberal. I'm very liberal. When we're talking about voting, I won't mince words. I voted for Biden. I find Trump appalling. And... Uh, this town's very liberal, even though we're in a part of Colorado that gets right into into conservative land. The blueberry and the tomato soup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. On on the western slope. I mean, Colorado went blue, but um, yeah. So I like it here a lot, and and it's just I've lived here for twenty years, and it's hard, it's expensive, but we've managed to carve it out, and uh, just some every day I'm just like, this place is awesome. Hmm. I just love it here. So right on. And then we got good climbing. And we got good winter climbing too, which yeah. has been nice. I so. just, yeah. Thanks for all the recommendations. Yeah. I just finally went and checked out Maine Elk and, yeah. on a cold day and had a great time. Yeah, it's yeah. all great all winter. Cool. Yeah, so. yeah. Fun to check it out. Well, Chris, this is uh, this has been so much fun. I've listened to, like I said, tons of a normal cast, and I know podcasting can be a labor of love. So I really appreciate right you doing the work over the years, and really fun to reverse roles and hear all your stories. So. Thanks so much. Thanks and it's this. been kind of epic. Um, I don't know how much you'll use, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, oh, what was I was going to say? Oh, and the, 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 uh, I know you're trying to wrap this up. The thing about the Enormacast, and I think about what you're doing that you're going to find, is that you have wrapped yourself in the community. Mm -hmm. And that's been the gift of the Enormacast. I've been blown you, away by that. Is that you get to go out and network in this community and you just find out like, that's why I've been climbing this whole time, hmm. you know, and it's just been this like gift. 
And then also the people you're going to interview, I mean, half of them or more than half of them, I like, we're friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not like, you know, going to each other's weddings or anything. <laughs> but you see somebody at the cliff you interviewed and you're just like, hey, and it's so it's super cool. Mm -hmm. It's super cool. And, and I hope that you find that and that regardless of the success monetarily, which we've talked about or anything else, like that is going to be this gift you're already getting it totally. at the rate you're you're doing them so yeah. it's super cool do you still have any people that you're just like dying to talk to do you, have, um, do you keep a list or anything yeah i mean i have sort of a mental list um you know i just got in touch with arno petit okay and uh he he sort of he was very nice about it but claimed that his english isn't good enough which <laughs> okay. i had heard he's he's got really good english but that's fine that's a fine thing so he said he might come back around to it okay um he's just got off a guiding gig and he said he was a little burned out too so um he's always been on the list um you know charma's on the list yeah um and i actually have a path to him i just have, haven't really pushed it too hard okay um so he would be super cool i've always taught wanted to talk to dave graham who I could probably get as well. Um, and then in the women world, like I, I just love these old historical ones. And um, she sort of lost to climbing history in the States, but uh, Catherine Desteville. Okay. I'd be super stoked to talk to her. Like she was a big part of the Lynn Hill era. Right. Um, they competed against each other and they were kind of like the two women climbers you sort of knew about. Mm. And as like a young man, I will admit this is like you kind of were like either hot for Lynn Hill or you were hot for Catherine Desteville. <laughs> you wanted one poster or the other on your wall. And I was like the Catherine Desteville man. <laughs> Not Lynn, I love you. Don't, you know, take that the wrong way. Um, or the don't, you know, get mad that I was lusting after anyone. But it's the way it goes. But yeah, Catherine Desteville would be super cool. Right on. Not because I want to, you know, like tell her that, but... <laughs> She knew. The French, you know, she climbed in these like super oh, yeah. skimpy outfits and stuff. It was rad. <laughs> so Catherine would be sweet. If anybody knows her, I think she speaks English well enough. Probably. Got you. That's a bit of a problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know people have wanted more international The other guests. dude that I'm actually kind of creeping up on is uh, Alain Robert. Okay. Know this cat? No. Oh, God. About... Check him out on Instagram. He was the original, you know, his cliche is he was Honold before Honold. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He was a... French free soul is he climbs he's kind of he climbs buildings like that's oh, okay. his stick yeah and he gets paid like lots of money by like sheiks and you know Abu Dhabi to climb their buildings and stuff <laughs> but he climbed like thirteen he free sold thirteen D I want to yeah thirteen D in the eighties holy shit yeah and he free solos he free soloed in uh, the Verdun which is like the Verdun is you know it's like airy yeah and small hold climbing and there's uh, just look him up on uh, instagram okay yeah he's a okay, he's well, an og free soloer right on and kind of just wild man climber dude cool from like the patrick Allinger era and stuff patrick's gone i'd interview that guy too but um yeah i'm creeping up on alan okay alan 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 okay there yeah i'll be uh looking forward to see that's episodes. the thing i like to do is find these dudes and reintroduce them and again, I, I harp on this all the time. The 80s got like just disappeared into the memory hole. Yeah. So much lost. of the 80s. And that's, Alon was from the 80s. Okay. You know. Right on. Yeah. So reintroduce Alon to the world be sick. I hope you do. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to I don't to know that. how his English is. I, I've been asking around. Okay. Right on. I think that's all I got. We're sitting roasting in this camper. Yeah. You are. I'm not. I'm over here in the shade.
<laughs> what are the what are the plans for this thing that we're sitting in right now? Uh, just finish it, and it'll be my family camper for um, the rest of my life. I hope. Awesome. Because it's it's forty eight years old right now, and I rebuilt it completely, so it should last another forty eight years. You're showing me photos before we started this, yeah. and it blew me away. And I will not last another forty eight <laughs> years. So hopefully, this will be my legacy piece. Mobile Studio yeah. two point Yeah. Yeah, well, you got to have a trailer. There's there's nowhere to put a kid in an RV. Mm. And then a van, having a third, like, seat mm. that's, you know, safe with a seatbelt and shit fucks up the van build. Oh, okay. Because it's in the middle of where your kitchen and shit yeah. is. So it's hard to have a van where your kids can sit yeah. safely. Um, so gotcha. this is our, our, our thing. We can tow this somewhere. Cool. The other nice thing about a trailer is you can leave it. Yeah. You know, place yeah. like Indian Creek, it's ideal. Because you can drive to the crag and leave your shit, and you don't have to pack up every morning. So that's the idea behind a trailer. Gotcha. What's in store for the rest of the day? Uh, I'm gonna paint some fascia on my house. <laughs> <laughs> right on, Chris. Cool. Thanks so much, Thanks dude. So much, man. Appreciate it's it. Super fun talking. Yeah. All right. I'll catch you later. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 You've been working, but you're blurting With the weekend, you can freak out One in a million You're a gem, shine when the light grows dim See one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it